Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And I know it's a well-abused cliche, but uh, Neil is off on his well-deserved break for the next two weeks. It's not a well-abused cliche this time because he really does deserve it. He hasn't had a week off uh, since September. And uh, so taking the couple of weeks off, uh, it's Mick Mulcahy in the hot seat uh, until uh, Friday week. Okay, so uh, let's get to the papers and see what's happening uh, in the uh, press of the country. Of course, the Sunday roast is making most of the papers. The hottest day of the year so far. And there's more to come. Sun worshippers flocked to beaches and parks right across the country yesterday as Ireland basked in glorious summer sunshine. Scorching heat saw temperatures rise to as high as 21 degrees, making it the hottest day of the year so far. And bathers will be thrilled to hear that the great weather is set to continue for the next few days at least, with temperatures remaining in and around the 20s. Today, the weather is expected to be mainly dry with plenty of sunshine and temperatures again reaching up to around 21 Degrees, But don't bank on it, says Leo Varadkar. On the coronavirus crisis, Leo Varadkar has warned that the government will crack down on large bank holiday street parties after people gathered to booze in city centres. Crowds in Dublin, in Cork and in Galway, you may have seen some of the videos were criticised by absolutely shocked Chief Medical Officer Tony Holohan. The Tonishta admitted it risked sending COVID cases soaring and said localised lockdowns may be considered he added, if the weather is good next weekend, there's a risk we'll see a repeat. But there is responsibility, obviously, on the Gardaí to enforce the law. We will lock you up again, was uh, kind of the unfortunate phrase. The Gardaí aren't going to lock people up physically. Uh, but I think they are uh, going to consider localised lockdowns if this sort of carry-on continues. I suppose the government are praying for bad weather next weekend so that the advancement of the rollout of the vaccine can uh, keep taking hold. Absolutely shocked is the main headline. In the sun today with a picture of Tony Houlihan, his fury at huge open-air street parties uh, and Leo warning of people meeting up more combined with a more virulent virulent and more transmissible variant, the Indian variant. And as if to give credence to all of that, the uh, front of the Daily Mail has fears of a fourth wave of infection. The Tonishta issues a warning after crowd scenes around the country raise COVID concerns. Tonish de Leo Varadkar issued a stark warning yesterday that we are at risk of suffering a fourth wave of COVID-19 of street parties seen yet again last night are repeated in the coming days. Actually, in the Sunday Independent yesterday, uh, it was the secret dossier that was sent to cabinet members warning of a fourth wave of infection. So they must have felt, OK, we got to get this out in the public because this sort of carry on can continue. The Fine Gael leader's warning came just hours after Chief Medical Officer Dr. Tony Houlihan sent a scathing tweet uh, condemning the crowded scenes he witnessed in parts of central Dublin on Saturday evening. Crowds have nowhere to go, says a Lord Mayor. The Lord Mayor of Dublin has defended the throngs of revellers, filmed drinking in Dublin, stating we can't lock people up. Green Party Councillor Hazel Chew told the Star that there is no place for people to enjoy the outdoor summer the government and health chiefs at Neffet have insisted they should have. Alison O'Reilly reporting in the Star. Better planning is needed. Revellers had shocked CMO Houlihan, but thousands of people lined Dublin's inner city where they enjoyed takeaway drinks and food, which was filmed and widely shared across social media over the weekend. Indeed, I got one over the weekend from the, the Grand Parade. Hundreds and hundreds of what looked like youngsters running from the uh, approaching Gardaí. Gatherings dispersed. Uh, we're looking at the examiner on this one. And 12 public order arrests. Guardian and Cork arrested 12 people on Saturday for public order offences, dispersing large crowds that gathered in the sunshine in the city. They were reported at Kennedy Quay and along Grand Parade as uniformed guardie with the assistance of the public order unit. 
uh, disperse those gathered on Saturday evening. Uh, meanwhile, an investigation has been launched, as you will have heard, into uh, in the news into an alleged assault in West Cork. The alleged incident occurred early on Saturday morning in Allahys. No arrests have yet been made. Now there's a surge in packaged sun holidays booked as travel gets the green light. And that's a topic we're going to be opening the program with call-wise in a few minutes' time. Slopping out, crawling with rats, no water or electricity. We're living like they did in 1960. This is in uh, today's sun. A young woman has told how she was forced to abandon her dreams for marriage and children while living on this rat-infested halting site. Noreen O'Brien said she wouldn't, uh, she would have a family now if she wasn't forced to reside in a place where for four months after Christmas she had no electricity in her trailer. You can check that out in the sun today. And joining hands to create a truly equal workplace. Taoiseach Micheál Martin and the Lord Mayor of Cork, uh, Joe Kavanagh, joined forces to launch the Hands of Hope initiative on Harley Street to raise spirits and endorse and strengthen community connections. Team members from Trigon Hotels, from Cope Foundation and from Ability at Work came together and put their handprints on the wall, which symbolises the uniting of communities. And they're hoping that as people pass the wall, which is on Harley Street, they'll be reminded of how resilient and courageous they've been over the past year and will continue to be hopeful for the future. Lovely picture uh, of Antishuk and the Lord Mayor in uh, The Echo. And uh, wrapping up with this one, in-person test will cut driver backlog. The reopening of in-person driver theory test centres and the hiring of 80 additional testers will go some way to addressing the problem of the 120,000-person backlog waiting to take the exam. In-person driver theory test centres are to reopen on June 7th with a capacity to clear 25,000 applicants per month up to uh, up from 15,000, which was pre-pandemic. And the Department of Transport said the capacity will be safely increased to 50,000 per month with COVID-19 protections. Coming up on 14 minutes past nine now. The Neil Prenderville Show. Now, we got a taste of the sun this weekend. Everybody, it seemed, was out and about in it. Ice cubes were at a premium in all of these supermarkets. And now everybody really wants to know, when will we get to go on holidays? And what will we have to do to get there? So, to try and simplify that, let's talk to an expert. The editor of Air and Travel magazine, Owen Corry. Good morning, Owen. Good morning, Nick. I'll do my best. <laughs> You're just back from Spain, I hear. Well, I was out in Spain for the first major face-to-face event, um, the, the tourism event, uh, Fitur is the name of it. There are three huge tourism fairs every year, and oh, nothing has happened since Fitur at the beginning of 2020. So it was sort of agreed this would be the trial run. Um, international UNWTO, um, the United Nations World Tourism Organization, is based in Madrid. So they had a conference, and um, the Spanish Tourist Board uh, put together um, it was the first real smell of what's happening in world tourism as everybody works their way through this crisis. We're not alone in having been to hell and back over the last 12 months. So it was very, very interesting uh, talking to tourism ministers, uh, CEOs of tourist boards, what the shape of what we're looking at in the coming months uh, will be, Mick. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when you look at the gatherings in our major cities, uh, you know, near takeaway pubs that are operating with takeaway facilities, you can see almost psychologically uh, we're behind other countries, it would seem, when it, when it comes to reopening. Uh, I know that Spain, Spain is going to open up on the 7th of June. Uh, but, you know, for instance, last week, uh, the Brit Awards were held in London. 4,000 people didn't socially distance. They didn't wear a mask. And here you have the situation where uh, an expectant couple can't be together for a scan. It looks as though we're way behind everywhere else. 
very simple solution. I think you put your finger on it. We are we have lots of places for people to enjoy themselves in a controlled environment. People uh, that uh, places that are used to serving alcohol and managing all the complications that come. They're called pubs. We have seven thousand of them. Uh, if they had been open this weekend with social distancing and all the requirements that are there, we wouldn't have that outcry, that outrage uh, all over our papers this morning, all over social media over the weekend. Uh, I think we're, we do, we're creating extra obstacles for ourselves as we reopen. When um, everything in Portugal is open, apart from the nightclubs, Greece is open. I was in Spain. They were going through the phases and uh, different regions were opening pubs at different levels. Um, they're very careful. They've uh, social distancing and the uh, requirement of wearing a mask outdoors dining, apart from the actual time that you're dining was there. It's, uh, they had incidents last summer, uh, particularly with the British arriving out in Magaluf. Uh, some listeners would be very familiar with uh, Mallorca and what happens in Magaluf late at night. So when the Brits arrived um, last summer, while the Spanish had very serious regulations in place, uh, they they were just alcohol and, and uh, 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 COVID doesn't mix very well. So they have been very taking the lessons, particularly from Magaluf last summer. Uh, Spanish bars, listeners will know, usually stay open late. Um, there's a, they're effectively old-style Irish closing time around 11 o'clock, feeling their way through it. Uh, there is a proviso here that obviously uh, dining outside and drinking outside has a different meaning when the temperature is 30 degrees as it was in Madrid when I was there last week. But uh, what they have done is, uh, and they were very good for outdoor, that plaza culture sitting outside anyway, is taken, done what a lot of Irish towns have done, taken over the car parking spaces in front of the restaurants and expanded that. So indoor is virtually non-existent. Everything is outdoor. Mm-hmm. And um, there, the, we, we have to learn, we have to stop cannibalizing ourselves and uh, going into that sort of um, those sort of high dudgeon uh, stuff that we got at the weekend with people tweeting about, oh, good Lord, people are out in the, state, uh, the street standing and start managing it the way other European countries have done. It was a very big lesson for me and I did think about it a lot over the weekend. Okay, let's look at the people who are looking on the websites, looking at the airlines' websites and saying, will I book, won't I book? Will I be safe? Will my money be safe? Uh, will I have to push it to next year? What will I have to do to get on a plane? Will I have to get an antigen test? Will I have to have a PCR? Will I have to be double vaccinated? Will I have to have the green certificate? What would you advise people now with uh, Spain opening on June 7th? Portugal and Greece are already open. Everything is open in Portugal except the nightclubs. What would you advise for people who are looking at family holidays, say, in the coming months? Keep uh, those, all those factors, those two main factors that you outlined there, Mick. Uh, am I going to be safe? Am I going to be keeping my uh, family and neighbours safe when both out there when I return? And also, is my money going to be safe? There are the considerations. Remember, it's illegal. Uh, non-essential travel is illegal, effectively illegal in Ireland um, until uh, July the 19th. So don't do anything to uh, go against public health policy. This, after that, what we'll be looking at is the, the experience when we get out there. Is it going to merit a holiday? And the experience of getting there, is it going to be uncomfortable or expensive? Now, we're getting a clearer picture with every 48-hour period of how that's looking. We know that 
the countries we're going to are going to have all sorts of regulations because, uh, you know, what we went through in January, Portugal went through in February, their rates went even higher than ours, but now they're back down to below half of ours. So uh, they're managing it all very well. So they're not going to do anything silly. So we will see socially distanced areas and beaches, uh, the use of pools, regulated capacity in restaurants, capacity in bars. And it's, it, it's, uh, it is working. And as I say, um, you know, we, we'll have, we have about a six-week lead-in watching all of this and to how other people react because once the figures start going the wrong direction, uh, nobody wants to go back to where they were. The money is really important. What we saw last year was a slowness, a reluctance, and in some cases an ultimate refusal to pay back money that had been paid. Go to your travel agent. You're going to be protected with money when money is spent with your travel agent. But also bear in mind airline policies because they're not all the same. The Aer Lingus policy up to the, if you have a very generous, the most generous policy probably of any airline in Europe, where you book until the end of December, you get a no no change fee. So let's say you decide um, to book in November, to travel in November as of now, you book now, you actually can change that. Now you won't, if the price is a little bit more expensive, you'll have to pay the difference. Some people have been caught by that. Ryanair have a similar policy, but it's only up until the end of June. They're looking at their July and August bookings without that same flexibility. But let's say things go wrong as they did horribly wrong. Um, for instance, in, in January of last year, one of the countries we go to in big numbers, things go horribly wrong, as happened um, in, with Portugal in February. We, they're, they're likely to change that and allow the refund or the change fee. So watching your money being safe. Now, the third thing, and this is something that played out a fair bit in the media, we have, we're signing up to the Digital Green Certificate. Listeners will no, need no introduction to that. Uh, the three items that are contained on it. It's, oh, the technology is awesome. It's a QR code. Once you scan that in, they can see if you've suffered from COVID and recovered, if you've been vaccinated, and they'll also, if you've added, if you've done a PCR test, you have a facility to add that. That's what I used to go to Spain for my own uh, essential travel last week. Uh, the girl at the gate we just tapped my boarding pass and up popped my PCR test. It can be expensive it's about 90 euro for the main uh, private supplier doing it in Ireland it's about 50 euro on return. Who will need that after July the 19th? Most likely those who have not been vaccinated and here we are into what different countries might interpret. Is it one course of uh, let's say uh, AstraZeneca and Pfizer are both two vaccination courses uh, is it going to be, you'll need both of those or just one? And it, the other thing is, um, if, you're, if you have, uh, uh, if the country is, if we as a nation get our rates down to where Northern Ireland is now, for instance, um, just, uh, just around 50 uh, cases per 100,000, we're a little bit over that, we're, no, we're just over 100. So if we get our rates down, nobody coming from Ireland is likely to need a PCR test. That could happen as early as July. If we haven't reached those numbers, 
we're still looking at a PCR test because I don't see a situation where teenagers are going to be vaccinated by then. Um, it's coming down. People in their 20s in Northern Ireland obviously are getting vaccinated now. It could be that we're, we're, the number of people vaccinated in Ireland will be down to that level, but mm. unlikely to be as early as July. So looking a bit later, sorry for going on a bit longer. No problem, Owen. Just, just a couple of things on that. You can understand why some families are reticent to book when whatever you need in Ireland to get out, whatever you need in Ireland to get in, uh, there is also, of course, the uh, requirements of the receiving country, your destination. Uh, and that needs to be checked out. I mean, you might be okay in Portugal, Greece or Spain, but if you're, if you're going further afield, you may be running into stronger restrictions. And that can have a complication both ends. Other people are wondering, uh, I've got four kids and uh, me and the wife, that's six. If I've got to get six PCR tests, that's 900 quid. Uh, and, you know, that really puts a cheap flight, not a cheap flight. Yeah, it, it'll be uh, very interesting because what we've had um, over the last year is a Rubik's Cube of relationships with 27 countries. So every single one of them, sometimes they have different regulations arriving from within the European Union. And that's before we go into the long haul. So what the European Commission have want to do and what they brought in July the 1st is let's bring the Rubik's Cube under control, guys. A clear set of regulations for all 27 member states. We are not um, completely signed up to that and we've our track record of dragging our heels and cherry picking the European regulation because we don't really um, um, we, we want to see what's happening elsewhere and want to see what's going on before we sign up for it. So we, But I'd expect that to go work its way through the system and that by August we will have the same clear set of, of regulations and you're absolutely right. For instance, uh, coming back into Ireland, everybody over six will need a PCR test. That's how it stands at the moment. Um, some countries, uh, you're, it's 16. Some countries, it's 18. Some countries, it's 48 hours. Well, ours is 72 hours before. Some countries, uh, Northern Europe is a big fan of antigen tests. Uh, the Irish medics are being almost uh, derisory about ant- antigen tests. So all of that these different ranks. We're only talking about within the European Union. Now, you, you alluded to something else. What happens outside the European Union? And this really matters for one country, America. We've huge uh, transatlantic ties. We've huge connectivity. We used to have 27 flights a day to North America. So what one of the solutions to that is a travel bubble with America, where Ireland says to America, your vaccinated people can come here and our vaccinated people can go to you. And a huge number of the American population are vaccinated. That would be hugely helpful for the inbound travel industry. That's a little bit down the road because we're still getting to get our heads around travelling within Europe. Uh, Europe says travel is important and that we've got to stop this thing of pulling up drawbridges and behaving like 27 different countries because we are one economy and there is an enshrined freedom of movement. movement. We need to get back to that. It's going to be a, a slow enough process. It has been a slow enough process. And as you said at the beginning, I think we'll be at the back end of that queue where I could have said that publicly. We're going to be at the back end of that reopening. But the real difference between where us talking this morning and us talking last week is we have a date uh, and that's a big, big start. Some relevant uh, text coming in here, uh, Owen. Uh, they're saying the vaccine passports will start on July 19th. Will people be able to get the vaccine passport immediately or will it be a few weeks after the 19th? I just want to know when to book my holidays, says Sarah. 
My uh, instinct is that you, we will need about a fortnight from July the 19th to start getting our, ourselves, our head around this and get it together, get the systems in place. The vaccine passport will be Im- available immediately. Uh, the reason they don't use, the countries uh, objected to the word passport being used, the reason that we use digital green certificates, so it won't be confused with your official mm-hmm. uh, passport that you carry. It's going to be on your phone. And it, the, there are going to be problems. Uh, I don't want to start producing problems when we just found the solution, but there are going to be issues with databases and all of those sorts of things that have to be overcome. And we're going to have to feel our way through those. Interestingly enough, we don't have the best record for having for our health service and our vaccine rollout uh, is one of the slower end of Europe. But on the digital side, Ireland is really well organised. For people who are looking for information, uh, there are loads of apps out there claiming to give you all the information. But the the one that um, the airlines use and it's updated immediately for every change of regulation in every country of the world is uh, uh, one called Tomatic. It's not an app on your phone. It's actually designed so that apps, uh, commercial apps, can't access it de- that easily, that real people will go into it. And okay. uh, to think of the Tim. Who was, who, uh, Tim was the dog in the famous five. And if you're putting him in the attic, uh, Tim Attic, that's what you do. Put it into your search engine and Tomatic's map will show up. Tomatic's map, okay. Best. It's the best. Uh, it's the best source of internet, and that's what the uh, travel agents use, and that's what the uh, airlines use. Okay, a couple of quick questions to blast at you. Could you ask Owen Corey, is there any possibility of Aer Lingus flying from Cork to Spain uh, in the summer before the airport close, closes? If Dublin Airport's going to be uh, so crowded, it would make sense to have Cork open, says Joan Keating. It, it makes absolute sense, and that all will completely depend on the bookings that are coming into the system. We have a very adventurous, uh, multiple flights daily to Malaga, multiple flights daily to Faro and Portugal, that were the, the same sort of connectivity we had in 2019. In fact, we have four new routes that we didn't have in 2019 out of Dublin, but it makes absolute sense uh, for Cork to uh, open it, uh, for some of those Spanish routes and those Canaries routes. The reality is that that won't happen until they see some movement in the booking system. And while there has been a lift since Friday, Irish people were burned before. They're not going to be running. And I, I was to, to, to repeat what I said, uh, the last, because it has to be, it, it has to be emphasized. The first two weeks after July 19th uh, are going to be a bit of a trial. Bit of a trial is good news for price. Uh, you'll get lower prices. <laughs> bit of a trial could be bad news if you've got a, an angry teenager wondering what happened. Speaking home. of, uh, how about teenagers, unvaccinated teenagers? Can they travel with the required tests? The, the unvaccinated teenagers are going to need a PCR test as it stands. Talking to the Spanish tourism minister last week, I pressed this point within the teenage market, so important. He said, uh, we don't see a situation that p- teenagers will not require a PCR test unless, and this is a big one, Ireland gets its rates down to below 50. Okay, and we're at 100. Children travelling to Portugal, will they require a PCR test? Same regulations apply to Portugal. 
uh, there could be, and the same proviso comes with the numbers. Um, the difference, uh, the, the, the important that children under the age of six will not require a PCR test in both cases. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, this is a general uh, comment, but I suppose we have a cohort of people who won't get vaccinated. But this comment will cover that as well. I'm allergic to vaccines. Uh, does that mean I can't go to the sun? Pretty much a PCR test. If you're if you're not if you don't have your vaccine, you need your negative test. Okay, but you may have to quarantine. Let's, for instance, you're going to let's say you're going to the Emirates. They may have a policy in place where unless you're vaccinated, double vaccinated, and you're in on a PCR test, you may have to quarantine for four or five days. So that needs to yeah. be researched as well. We haven't even touched the quarantine. As it stands, everybody coming back into Ireland uh, must quarantine for 14 days. Uh, they will test you after five days and you can release. That's what happened in my own case. Um, but I was when I arrived back from Spain on my essential work uh, visit, uh, I was still self-isolation for, uh, 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 for 14 days. After five days, you get released. Now, will that change? We've heard no indication that that will change because uh, you, you do get the impression Mick, that there are different uh, sets of advisors working on different fields of this. And you also have um, the political decision making um, from the advice from Mephis. No, no real clarity as to what, what um, the indicate what will happen with quarantine. And remember, I'm just talking more nearly the whole focus of what we're talking about this morning is inter EU. And 70% of all our holidays go to Spain and Portugal. So they're really the countries I've been concentrating on. Once you go in beyond that, you're diff- dealing with a completely different set of regulations. But what will will happen is that at EU level the negotiations will be held there, not at Irish level. Okay, a couple of quick ones. I've kept you a long time, Onan. Thank you for that. No, uh, always a pleasure. I can, can, I can say all morning. Yeah. Can I ask if a PCR test is needed for special needs kids like Down syndrome or with autism? Yes. PCR tests in, in all cases. Um, there are possibilities for going through a medical process where, uh, you know, uh, the, the PCR test, if somebody needs to travel, absolutely necessary travel, uh, that you won't need a PCR test. But don't even start to go there. And I'll tell you why. The PCR test is going to be looked for by someone on the check-in desk at your airport or at the gate in an airport. They're not into big, long explanations. It's going to be looked for uh, um, at the gate, obviously. It's going to be looked at when you arrive. You have locator form you have to fill out online before you go to Spain and Portugal as well. You have to upload uh, the, the, the proof of the piece. The technology is awesome. It really works. You upload the document. They look at the QR code, see it, uh, and let you through. What I've been finding, what I've been hearing since the beginning of this, when you've got something complicated, even with tons of pay, with all the right paperwork, you end up with someone who probably didn't finish secondary school education at a, at a gate, not letting you through. And then, uh, you know, we've had cases of people turned back with all the documentation at a, a desk in um, in America, the immigration people in America turned back people who had all the proper documentation. And uh, even though they had, they went back on two different occasions to get through. The point I'm making is you may have the case, you may have the medical documentation, but you're dealing with sometimes a bit of an attitude of someone who has all the power wow. to turn you back. I think a lot of people are going to stay at home 
this summer and maybe uh, no, say no, no, we'll I put it on till next that, year. That, in that specific case, if you if you are arriving without a PCR test and with the proof that you don't need it, you're 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 not going to be dealing with someone okay. who knows what the the, the full regulation. They sometimes they don't even know their full immigration. Oh, and the, the questions keep coming, uh, but I have to kind of end it there. Uh, can two quick ones? Do you see flights to the Canaries from Cork at Christmas? Yeah, um, very likely. Uh, okay. I think once once we're up and running, Cork, uh, we'll be back. Yeah. And do babies and small toddlers need PCR tests? No, absolutely not. Under the age of six. Okay, brilliant. Thanks for your expertise, Owen. That's uh, Owen Corey. Thanks okay. a million. Thank, Thank you. you. Editor of okay. Air and Travel Magazine. And uh, we have one final text uh, from Paddy. Uh, and this is, I'm just going to leave it sit there rhetorically, because he says, all talk of travel is academic, as Houlihan and the Nefertarians will have us all back in level five by the 12th of July. Watch and see, says Paddy. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And you can call the program on 1850-104-106 and the regular email is neil at redfm.ie. Now, more than 140 rented properties in just one area of Cork City, just one area, are not registered with the Residential Tenancies Board, the RTB, leaving tenants unprotected, the Doyle has heard. Tonishta Lear Veratkar has said there's a real problem around the number of landlords who are not registering their properties, which is a legal requirement. And the issue was raised by Cork North Central TD Colin Burke, who hit out at the low number of inspections and prosecutions. Catherine Clancy is chairperson of the Magazine Road and Surrounding Areas Residents Association, uh, which apparently has 142 unregistered rented properties. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Mick. Um, and just to say, you know, in 2017, Mick, we did a, a, a check of properties in our area and we found that time out of just a, a sample check of 130 odd properties. There were 93 not registered. We forwarded all those names to the RTB in 2017. And um, there was no change four years later in 2020 when we checked properties again. Some properties that were on the 20. Uh, 17 list that we sent to the RTB were still there in 2020 and 2021. So we did another uh, check of the properties since last summer and what we found over 250 properties that we checked that um, nearly 140 were not registered. And uh, we have think that and we also want to, I suppose, thank uh, Colin Burke for raising the issue in the Dáil and also to Deputy Padraig O'Sullivan who has followed up on the issue on our behalf as well. You know, we feel it's unacceptable and we feel there is an answer to be, a question to be asked now of the board, of the uh, Residency Tenancy Board, to ask them why they are not following up on the compliance of landlords to register their properties and why there seems to be no enforcement. Mm-hmm. Why, why, Catherine, are landlords reneging on their legal responsibility to register and what sort of issues do unregistered properties cause for you? I suppose, first of all, they're reneging because there seems to be no um, enforcement or there's no follow-up if properties aren't registered with the uh, RTB. There's very, very few regulations for landlords and people in the business of renting out their houses have don't have any of the compliances that other type of businesses have. So even in that small area where they must be compliant, it's obvious to us as residents that that's not happening. And the issue then, I suppose, for us is that if we have a property in our area where there's antisocial behaviour, where the property hasn't been maintained, the body that we're referred to and asked to refer the case to is the RTB. But when we write to them 
and we write to them to say that there was an issue with the property, if the property isn't registered, our letter is sent back to say that they will pursue the registration first and that we can't submit our complaint until the registration is made. That then uh, takes months maybe for the PRTB if they do follow up uh, with that landlord to register the property. And then we as residents have to resubmit our complaint. And in many cases, the properties around here make they change, a res- they change registration or they should be changing registration twice a year and so far that the tenants change. You know, uh, this weekend now we have the summer lets and a whole new lot of uh, people moving into the properties. This property should be registered again this month. You know what I mean? But if they're not registered, it's a huge issue for, I suppose, for us as residents. But it's also an issue for the people moving in there because they're, you know, they're not legally in there if the house isn't registered. And they're not protected either. They're not. And if there's an accident inside there, you know what I mean? It's really in their interest that they check that property is registered, you know. and So you you, you have, for instance, constant antisocial behaviour in in a property. You you go to where you're meant to go, the RTB. They say that property is not registered with us, nothing to do with us. Uh, We'll pursue a registration. In the the meantime, don't get any sleep. Uh, And then... Maybe nicer people move in and, and the antisocial behaviour stops. Mm. Uh, there really is no uh, disincentive. There, there, there's no reprimand for the landlord to, Absolutely to pursue not. the... And in, in Cork since 2016, you know, uh, following uh, questions submitted by uh, Deputy Colin Burke, there was only four landlords prosecuted since 2016 and in our area alone like you know that was only sample houses that we did we believe there are thousands of properties in Cork and also similar there's a residence group in Limerick you know living around the college area there the UL they did a survey and came back with a similar results there is obviously questions to be answered by the board of RTB as to why they are not um, pursuing and enforcement and as Leo Bradker said uh, last week in reply to Colin Burke in the door it isn't an issue of resources I believe there were six inspectors no extra inspectors, uh, you know, and the money for them given to the PRTB. They have 83 staff. They have 11 people on the board. What are they doing? Catherine, it's, they doing? it's probably a leading question on my behalf, but do you think there's a legislative soft touch around this? Absolutely. Because many of the occupants of Doyle Aaron are landlords themselves. Well, whether they're landlords or whoever they are, they're, 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 you know, whether they're members of the dollar or whoever, it's a soft touch. There is no other business. If you open a dog kennel in the morning, you would have to comply with so many rules and regulations. When it comes to landlords, there is light touch regulation and there is obviously the message around landlords that look, ignore it and then go away or don't register and you'll hear nothing. Uh-huh. It's really a serious issue. And in just our area alone, like, you know, uh, I suppose, even if just from a financial point of view, that the RTB followed up on them. You know, and the figures that we have, just on our road alone and the area around here, there was €53,000 uh, lost to, um, to to government this year. That's just in this, the winter residencies. You have a whole new lot of residencies now taking place again and registrations that should be registered. And you're talking about, you know, that's just in that 100 and odd houses. Not in the thousands, but in the hundred and odd thousands, in the hundred and odd houses around here, there was fifty three thousand class to the government. But if you were to look at it na- nationally, based on our figures, you're looking at anything between thirty seven and hundred and eighty million being lost per annum. hundred and eighty million in non registration. And it's also, you know, if you look at the RTB or if you look at any government reports where they go for their figures on how many rented properties there are in the country, they say there's around three hundred thousand. 
currently RTP. These uh-huh. figures are skewed because like in our, just our sample check here, it doesn't reflect at all how many rented properties are in the country. The register says there's 18,000 in Cork. There's 18,000 apartments alone in yeah. our experience. I'm just wondering, so if, if it was a legal requirement for, for Joe yeah, Bloggs, a student, mm-hmm. to supply their PPS number and, and mm-hmm. to declare their um, house of residency, for instance, let's say they move from Skibbereen and they come in, in, in into Cork, that they must declare, here's my PPS number and here's my address, 23 Magazine Road or whatever it's going to be, right? And, and then, surely the most efficient way of policing this would be the revenue commissioners would say, right, that's a privately owned house by uh, Mary Murphy. And uh, she must be a landlord. She's not registered with the RTB. I wonder what's yeah. happening here. Um, because how much is being lost to the state in, in revenue uh, and, and due taxes from landlords who aren't registered and, and, and not declaring their full returns, I wonder? Huge. I mean, it's, as I say, it's, it, on our figures alone, like it's 180 million per annum. That's if you go two out of three properties not being registered, which is the case in our area here. If you were to say that our figures were a bit skewed and maybe, you know, one in three aren't registered, like you're still talking about maybe 90 million being lost to the state per annum. And in our area here, there should be a double uh, registration with the landlords, you know, twice a year because Mm -hmm. these properties are summer lets. These summer lets now, like, that seem to go under the radar altogether, if you're to ask me. Is there an Airbnb phenomenon coming into these areas as well, where where people can get much more money by letting it for a night, six nights a week, than they can for letting it for a month? No, I think they're traditionally like, you know, but what you have, like, if you were to walk the area here, you have houses that are left, and I suppose another issue for us as residents, why it's important that the house registers the PRTB, is the management and maintenance. If you were to walk some areas by the college, you would think you were walking in areas of deprivation, while quite the opposite is the case. These houses generate huge income. The average income for any of these houses makes us between sixty and eighty thousand a year. Wow. That's outside of the summer lets because you have houses of multiple occupancy with probably ten tenants inside there. And, and like and at the end of the day, the amount of money that the landlord pays to be registered is very, very little. The maximum you'd have to pay is two hundred and seventy five euros um once a year or twice a year if you do a summer list. So you'd have to ask the reasons why aren't they registering? You know, is there other reasons why they're not registering these tenants? Yeah, and, and lest our, our, our listeners believe that I'm castigating landlords uh, in general, I'm not really. The vast majority of landlords who Absolutely. are renting are registering. Mm-hmm. But it seems that around student accommodation areas, there seems to be an attitude of ignoring the legal requirements. And, and that doesn't help away. anybody. It doesn't protect the tenant. Uh, it doesn't make uh, the due taxes available to the state. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't uh, protect the decent tax-paying residents of the area. Mm-hmm. And as well as that, like, Mick, you know, a landlord has a duty of care under the Residence Tenancy Board Act, like, you know, to his neighbours. And also the board of the uh, Registration and Tenancy Board have a duty of care to fulfil that all their services are delivered and particularly to people with what we be called third parties. And in our instances, the third parties are being ignored when it comes to protection under the RTB legislation. Okay. I've got to leave it there, but look, it's an ongoing problem. Uh, please keep us informed if there's any changes. Okay. But it, it does seem to me that if you report a non-registered property, then, mm-hmm. the, you know, the pursuit of that landlord to register should be very, very quickly um, mm-hmm. administered. Yeah. And, and it, it, so don't, you know, give us three months and come back. doesn't really wash, does it? And it's, it's up to the person as well. It's up to me to continue to watch their website to see if it's registered. 
they don't become proactive until the house is registered and then we have to resubmit. It is not fit for purpose and it needs to be changed and, you know, the RTB need to deliver the service that they yeah. that they are, are listed as having to do. Uh, Antonis just said, and I quote, there does seem to be a lot yeah. of unregistered properties just from my own sense of things, particularly in our city centres, including Dublin and Cork, and that's a real problem in terms of taxes unpaid and in terms of tenants being unprotected. I suppose, Mick, just before I go, what it is, is everybody knows it. And everybody knows for the last number of years that the landlords aren't treasuring their property. You have to ask why is there mm-hmm. light touch regulation around this area. And before I go, I'd like to thank Colin Burke again and Padraig O'Sullivan and Michal Martin's office and also Michael McGrath for supporting us in following up on the issues. Okay, let's hope it gets cleaned up because it is necessary. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine thank you, Clancy. Thank you. Thanks, Chairperson of the Magazine Road and Surrounding Areas uh, Residents Associations. Uh, Now, staying with housing issues, Donica O'Leary from Sinn Féin called to say they're having an online meeting tonight about affordable housing. Thousands of people are locked out of ever being able to have a permanent home. Tonight at 7pm, their housing spokesperson, Ono Bryn, will discuss the affordable housing crisis. You can email or message Sinn Féin online for a Zoom link. Okay? Email or message Sinn Féin online if you have an interest in attending that Zoom meeting. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106 Red FM Well, it's Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prendival for the next couple of weeks and we've got a fabulous competition on this week in association with Musgrave Marketplace. Now, today you could win yourself a €150 Euro voucher for the Copper Grove in Bandon. Tomorrow for Sutton's Bar and Bistro at the Rochestown Park Hotel. On Wednesday for the Maritime Hotel in Bantry, another €150 Euro voucher. And for Sutton's Bar and Bistro again at the Rochestown Park Hotel on Thursday. And on Friday uh, for Ramen, fresh to walk, €150. Euro. That'll feed you for a while uh, in Ramen. And of course, one of our daily winners will get the chance to win the big prize, which is a €500 Euro voucher for the Breton Hotel. Now, this is all in association with Musgrave Marketplace, which is an Irish family business passionate about supporting jobs in our local economy. And as Cork reopens, Irish hospitality needs more than just luck. It needs you, me, and everybody else. Musgrave Marketplace have a 145-year heritage and are encouraging you to show your support by dining out. And all week, we're going to be giving you the chance to win these vouchers to restaurants and hotels across Munster. So you've got to be here uh, to win, we're going to play uh, each and every day for you, and I'm going to give you a sample of it now, but please don't call just now. We'll open the lines just before 12 with Musgrave Marketplace, because hospitality needs us. Three signature tunes from very famous shows. That's what we're going to be asking for you each and every day to identify. So I'll give you a little sneak preview now, but don't uh, call us please until we open the lines just before 12 o'clock. <laughs> There's two easy ones there, but we'll play it a few more times through between now and 12 o'clock, and then we will open the lines. Let's go to Tony on line six. Morning, Tony. Morning, uh, Mick. How are you keeping? Good. Now, you were uh, listening to radio in Kerry at the weekend, and you heard we're all going to be back in lockdown soon enough. Well, Tony Hoolan seems to be some kind of a god. Tony Hoolan, a god. I would imagine in the history of this state uh, and of this country, there has never been a civil servant who wielded so much power. It's absolutely... I'm, I'm stunned that people are taking it. He said, on the radio yesterday morning, he drove through some part of Dublin. South, South William Street, yeah. And he couldn't believe what he saw. Did you see the pictures? I did. Now, do you blame people for going out and enjoying themselves? Not after what we've been through. But I think, you know, the, the easing of restrictions is in a phased basis for one overriding reason and that is to allow the advancement of the vaccination program in which we are probably behind where we should be 
Well, I am vaccinated and most of my family are vaccinated. But then we've Stephen Donnelly coming on the radio last Friday that they'll only get half what they predicted they'd get in June. That's negligence of the government or incompetence on his pay. Look, he's not fit for purpose, Stephen Donnelly. He's the weakest Minister for Health that I've seen in a long time. He's using all the excuses available to him. If they can't get the vaccinations into the country or they didn't do the ordering correctly, this has seemed to be where the problem lies. Well, as Owen Curry said, probably the most responsible area uh, in our hospitality sector is are, are the pubs who enforced and, and took the guidelines very, very seriously the last time and are, are duly, they are rightfully, I think, feeling disenfranchised. Now, if we opened the pubs, and I'm not a public health expert, you would have all of those people who are gathering close proximity on the keys, not going to house Shabines, not going to gather in, in close proximity, but, you know, under capacity regulations and restrictions in licensed premises where they could maybe get more protection than they will if they're gathering willy-nilly on a quayside. And I'll make one very important point. There's no measure at home. If you go into a pub and you order a vodka and coke, you'll get a, the proper measure of vodka and you'll get your, your, your tin of coke or your bottle. If you fit it at home, there's no measure at home. And that's why drinking is out, is out of control at the moment. Because you can go down to Lidl's or Aldi's and buy a bottle of vodka for I don't know, 15 or 20 euros. Inside in the pub, you would pay the recommended price and you'll get a proper quantity. And there's nothing like going into a pub for a bit of banter. But people are missing the social interaction, Ty. There's only so many Zoom chat. calls you can... The chat. But, uh, like, my, my son is an airline pilot. And he's, he's uh, hedging a bit at the moment that, the, that international travel won't be back on the 19th of July. Where, where does he fly out of? Or Cork. Out of Cork. Well, I, I know a pilot who flies out of Cork and they are looking now at the end of this year and a half of yep. inaction and, and no work. Looking at, and I know it's not the airport's fault, looking at the airport closing and possibly they having to tag three more months on, onto their... Yeah. You know, and, and probably have to, have to retrain at the end of it. They've been out of airplanes so long. That's the problem. Like he, left, he left to go back to either, either Spain or, or go to some second Dublin. And get type-rated again. Yeah. And, and it's, it's cost thousands. But just on the final point, we booked to go on a stag in November out of Cork. I know we've been told we have to go over to Shannon. We were, if things stay currently as, as they stand at the moment, we'll have to do a PCR test going to America and coming back. Unless unless we get that bubble that Owen Curry was talking about, because the American connection is hugely important here for our tourist important. figures. But this test is going to cost us in excess of 300 euros. I was in the hospital last week and I got an, an antigen test done, and it resulted in 15 minutes. Yeah, we're going to be talking about the antigen versus the PCR before the program ends today, uh, just because th- th- there are advantages to both systems, and there are cost differenti- uh, differentials as well. There's a huge cost, and it's it's that impacts more on families really than on single people you could stand it I suppose for a stag party you're playing it for yourself Tony I have to leave it there thanks a million you're fine you're fine Mick thanks very much all the best to you now Bye, bye, bye. Thanks, bye, bye. It's two minutes to ten on the Neil Prendival Show, and we have news at ten on the way. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news, and you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. One hundred four to one hundred six, Red FM. This is the Neil Prendival Show. And this is Mick Mulcahy in for two weeks for Neil Prandeville. Now let's go to the topic of gyms and in particular big gyms which are being left behind. And we have Kian, who is a co-owner of ATP Fitness based in Donnybrook in Douglas. I know it well. Good morning, Kian. 
Hi, hey, Mick. How are you doing? Very good. And yourself? Uh, good now, yeah. We're, we're excited now today, Mick. Uh, our, our bookings are finally back open, so we're open there now uh, next week, the, the 7th. So our diaries finally went live for the that's first time this year. So I was saying, are you sure, are you sure that's not Ian? And, uh, no, this is Kean here. There's always a bit of confusion. And there. now I realise it's Ian and Kean are the partners. Uh, so yeah. you're the co-owner with Ian of ATP Fitness. So you're based in Donnybrook and Douglas. Yeah. Uh, now I've been there before. It's from Monday, uh, from Monday, personal training only. But that isn't really your revenue generator, is it? Well, it would be half a revenue uh, generator. The other half mm. would come from classes. But as far as we're aware, they won't be coming back till the earliest um, the 5th of July mm-hmm. and there'll be much reduced capacity so we'll be looking at maybe about a third of our, our normal class capacity coming back hopefully in July. Yeah, okay, so this is half of your revenue and I, I, I you know, I contend you're probably not as bad as, uh, as a traditional pub or as an airline pilot or, as, you know, there are other cohorts of society yeah. that would feel uh, really hard done by, even the live music industry, you know, comes to mind. Um, so you were over four years in business there, things going really well. Uh, yeah. And of course, like any business, you strive to keep growing, you strive to keep hiring more staff, you strive to expand the business and buy another facility. Uh, and uh, you came very close to that on multiple occasions, probably a blessing in disguise that you, you hadn't pulled that trigger when COVID hit. A blessing in disguise now, Mick, yeah. Um, we, were, like, we were very, very disappointed at the time when it didn't work out for us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thank God that we had those savings in reserve uh, now because... I honestly don't know how businesses would have pulled through without savings um, if if that hadn't worked out for us or if that had worked out for us at the time. Uh, it would be a very different story now. Yeah. So, um, so as you said, it's a blessing in disguise. You can see by the gatherings over the weekend in our major cities that uh, younger people seem to be at the end of their tether mentally when it comes to the extended lockdown. Uh, how much does Jim uh, working out and general health and fitness and maintaining that benefit mental health do you think it's absolutely massive um even more than the, the physical exercise part part or side of things we see that uh like uh, the impact that it has on people's mental health is absolutely huge and for for, for us as gym owners uh, we have a very close um relationship with a lot of our clients and this third lockdown more so than any other uh, really affected a, a lot of them uh, mentally uh, very negatively for, for some people the pandemic has been an inconvenience for other people it's been life-altering uh, t- terrifying and uh, you know they're, they're you know very stressed very anxious and just can't wait to get back into a safe uh, training environment where they can start exercising again well a lot of businesses have had to adapt uh, I know my, my buddy Eddie English with his sale cork enterprise mm-hmm. had to go fully online for a while and gave the value uh, remotely that he would have uh, done in classes and very, very entertaining and engaging topics uh, yep. around navigation and sailing. You you kind of had to reinvent and do the same thing. Yourself and Ian, I, I, I get emails from Ian every Monday and Thursday morning <laughs> and, and it always has a strange title which makes you open it. So fair play to Ian. Um, but you, yeah, had, to, you had to reimagine your entire business because of COVID. Yeah. So when, when COVID hit, we had zero online presence uh, at all. Uh, and we just had to adapt and learn very quickly. We, we went online, we started doing online classes, online personal training sessions for our clients. Uh, we then uh, built a, a kind of a long-term dream of ours, which was an, a, an online uh, educational health and wellness program to feel great. Um, so when we open back up, we'll now be opening back up with uh, an online presence as well. So there, there has been opportunity as well. Uh, you know, it has kept us going, but there's nothing like, you know, being physically open, our revenue would still be down 90% overall uh, in, in the same time, time, time frame we're closed. 
10 out of the 15 months um, of COVID. So, yeah, it's been pretty drastic on, on, on us and the business. How has that uh, impacted your ability to cover your own rent in, in your premises and that kind of thing? So, um, like, thankfully, the, the supports have been there. They have been helpful. And then just with, with bit, like, I suppose we spent um, the first lockdown building that online program and then revenue that we've um, been able to generate from that has been able to, to, to cover that sort of thing. So um, we're, we're okay. Um, you know, thankfully, we were able to adapt. Um, we were able to keep going. Uh, but we just can't wait to be physically back open again. Okay, I'm just looking at the official uh, release about what's being eased from, uh, in two days' time, hotels, B&Bs, guest houses and self-catering accommodation can reopen for guests. The big one, of course, is from the 7th of June. Outdoor services and bars and uh, restaurants can recommence. Up to 200 people in outdoor uh, events and venues with a minimum capacity of 5,000 and up to 100 can attend other outdoor uh, events. Cinemas and theatres reopen. Driver test uh, theory centres reopen. Uh, day centres for older people will see a phased reopening. And there'll also be a number of pilot sporting and cultural events taking place in June and early July. No mention of gyms, leisure centres or health clubs there. But they're opening as well, kind of on a, a limited capacity basis. Yeah, so um, we, we, we would always have very limited numbers in our facility. Um, we have over 4,000 square foot. And as you know yourself from training there, um, we wouldn't be in an open gym where people just come in and train themselves. Everything is supervised. Everything is done with a personal trainer. So our numbers would always be very uh, limited and small in the gym. So much safer. We have a nice big open space. Um, and then um, we have clients and ourselves cleaning down all the equipment um, as, as they're used. So we'll, we'll have the same safety precautions um, that we had uh, beforehand um, with the trainers. They're wearing masks as well. So. Okay, so for yeah, those for those who've been well, overindulging yeah. and, and not getting the exercise in the <laughs> lockdown, uh, I think exercise, nutrition and how to look after your health is becoming ever more important now that things are opening up. Absolutely, yeah. And our advice there would be um, to just, you know, start back easy, take, take it easy on yourself. If you haven't been doing any exercise at all over the last few months, don't just dive back in and think you're going to be training three or four times a week. Um, you know, getting out, going for a walk, getting fresh air. These, this is all massively beneficial. If you can come and do, you know, one or two PT sessions a week or do an online class, um, start with that and just just make small changes um, over time that you're able to sustain and adhere to, as opposed to going too hard at the start and you know being maybe overly sore from the training or too restrictive with your food and then kind of relapsing and going back to doing what you're doing before. Yeah, uh, two things said to me on that subject come to mind. One was by Dr. Eva Orsman who said to me, you can't out-exercise a bad diet. And the other was Correct, by, yeah. by your own partner, Ian Murphy, who said, you know, when it comes to food choices, always try to make the better choice. Now, even if it is a little unhealthy, make the better choice rather than the worse one. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I suppose we live... In age where instant gratification, we can just go and get anything we want. It's very, very hard to make, uh, you know, the smart choice all the time. So don't be too hard on yourself uh, if you're not always ma- making the smart choice. But if over, you know, a longer period of time, you can more often than not make better choices, uh, then, then, then not that, that that will will pay off. Okay, so you're, are you open for bookings or is it regular membership now that are taking so slots we, or what's we, happening? We are, we are open for bookings now as of uh, 6 a.m. this morning, so it's great. The diary's getting busy there now already. Um, this is for next week now from the, the mm. 7th, um, where we'll be back doing physical sessions again uh, from next Monday morning. That'll be one-on-one though, is it? 
Simi 5 so we have a maximum of two clients with a trainer at once um, with a nice big open open studio so uh, plenty of space uh, plenty of ventilation and um, yeah we're just really really excited there and able to see, see everyone back in action and if, you know there, there are going to be people out there who aren't quite comfortable to get back to the gym um, just yet so we do have the online programme there for them uh, to feel great uh, where they can still you know work out from home train from home learn about nutrition um, learn about looking after their, their, their health um, if, if people aren't quite ready to get, get back into the gym OK and where can they find you online Keen? So it's uh, atpfitnesscork.com and you can check us out on social media as well. We'll be very active all through lockdown. So our Instagram uh, account, uh, atpfitnesscork and on Facebook. Okay. I I suppose the the real message here is that the the COVID is not all doom and gloom. You've had to, you've been forced by COVID and by the restrictions to be nimble, to be more strategic. And I suppose in a certain sense, you've future-proofed your business against, uh, you know, any other possible lockdowns. Absolutely. While COVID has been like really, really challenging, really, really tough for us uh, as people, as uh, as a business, um, we have learned a lot from it. We've learned that we can adapt quite quickly to situations. Um, we went from having no online presence to, to quite a large online presence. We're building up our brand, our following, um, and and we now have a fantastic educational uh, product that you know is, is is there now to stay and and to work on into the future, which which was never there. Okay, brilliant. Uh, regards to Ian and thanks to Kian. Thanks very much, mate. Thank thanks you. a million. All the best. See you soon. Uh, that is Kian, the co-owner of ATP Fitness in Donnybrook. Now to Cove, we go on to Jer Curley, who's a publican there. Morning, Jer. Hello, Jer. Hello. Hi. How's it going? You're you're the owner of Jack Doyle's Pub. That's right, Max. Yes, yeah. used to be my old stomping ground when it was Donnickey's, and that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good one, I'm Max. That's a good one, yeah. We're there 16 years now, so... Oh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So... Well, I just like to say about the, the weekend, you know, um, it's just a pity that... I know the young, the young people are, are frustrated, but if they just could hold on for another month or two and everything is kind of back to some type of normality. Um, and like we in here in COVID don't do takeaway points. And I think it's, it, it helps the situation when when that's not happening, you know. So none of the pubs in Cove, even though some of them would be, you know, in the squares and that, would be able to yeah. fulfill the legal requirement. I think you have to be, is it 100 feet or 100 yards from the pub you have to be to drink the takeaway yeah. pint? Yeah, well, they, and they, they could, I suppose, go into the promenade. But, you know, it, we're, we're so glad that it's not happening because, you know, it, I just think it would take away from... There's lots of families coming down to Cove now. Sure. And, and I, I think it would just would, would spoil the whole atmosphere around, you know. Just was, was that a collective decision, Jerry, on behalf of the Cove Vintners? No, I, 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 I just think we you know, decided it wasn't, you know, worth the hassle of it and, and, and the trouble that it causes, you know. Um, so I, there was no... Uh, there was no kind of collective thing on the way. Just we just felt we did it that way, you know. Um, yeah. Like I, some people have said uh, not, pubs aren't doing it because they won't receive the PUP. But, um, but like I could do it, but because we're doing takeaway food. Um, but it's not just worth the hassle. And and uh, you know, I think it's just a lot of people coming into COVID now, and I think it'll just show a bit. That atmosphere to, to be doing that, you know. That reminds me. I read in one of the papers over the weekend that uh, one of the great providers of takeaway food in Cove is retiring, and that is Jerome. So I just want to wish him all the very yeah. best. He's fed thousands over the years. He did, yeah. he's uh, he, he did a great service all through the years, and uh, he retired there about two or three weeks ago, and uh, he did a great job. I'll, I'll to be honest. 
Yeah, okay. So you, you've uh, gained quite a reputation now for your, your, your takeaway menu. Has it sustained you through the, the COVID restrictions? Yes, it has. And, 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 and I suppose like that man that you just on there in the gyms, we're gonna, it, it'll be a positive aspect because we're going to keep it going after uh, COVID, you know, because, you know, we don't know what's, what's going to bring the next 12 months, you know, so um, we're going to keep that going and, and it's been very positive, you know. So it'll be a feature of what you can get inside the pub as well as takeaway, yeah? Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how's Cove doing in general? I know there's a lot of work going on with the tidy towns there. Yeah, they're, they're, they're brilliant in fairness. They're, um, they're working um, and uh, the sewerage is, is, is sorted now, so I suppose it was a good time for that to go ahead as well, you know, that um, when, we're, when we're back open in July, that should be all finished and, and as well, so we're... We'll be back uh, looking as good as ever and tips to spike and, and the whole town should should benefit, I think. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people had to have their forbearance tested uh, with the uh, the works going on there f- uh, for the, uh, you know, in in the greater ambition to clean up the, the water in Cork Harbour, uh, but there was a lot of traffic uh, disruption on both sides of the river. And I think that's substantially coming to an end now, as you say. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's nearly all finished and, and hopefully when... When everything is back to near normality in, in July, that's, um, it'll be finished, too. Mm-hmm. What sort of a vision do you have for the pub trade in general, Ger? Uh, when is it going to be back to normal? Shoulder to shoulder and uh, arm across the shoulder and clicking the points together and that kind of stuff? Or will we all be six feet away from each other? I I, I think it'll be the new year, uh, Mick, to be honest. Um, I think they'll, they'll still have their restrictions over Christmas, Um I, I know it's very frustrating and, and everything, but I suppose the most important thing is that we're safe. And um, and like that's uh, I don't like use the word controls, but in the pub it's it's a more controlled environment. So uh, you know it, it, it is safer probably you know when 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 we're back to normality. That's um, rather than having big house parties and big outdoor gatherings. That you know it, it will be safer. I think overall. Yeah. You know? Although two years ago, uh, you know, if you, if you told somebody. Uh, in two years' time, uh, you won't have the freedom to travel country to country. You, you'll be asked, can I see your papers, please? Uh, yeah, no, nobody yeah, would have yeah, believed yeah. it. But I, I take your point. Uh, youths are frustrated. There's nowhere really for them to go and congregate and gather. Uh, they tend to pick the, the key sides and the big squares in, in the city centres. But, uh, you know, as I said, maybe the government are praying for a terrible weekend of weather because yeah. it's just the last, uh, the last piece of the jigsaw, really. Uh, it would be yeah. sadly ironic if we to go back into lockdown because we had a blast of good weather. Uh, that caused another outbreak. Yes, yeah, and uh, it, it'll be hard on the people that have uh, have been so patient, you know. Um, and all it is is just a small bit more patience. And um, while it is frustrating, if they can just just do it for another six to eight weeks, it, it should be an awful lot yeah. better, you know. Yeah, and then we're done. We're not going backwards no, anymore. No. All right, sir. Best of luck with Jack Doyle's. Thanks, Nick. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. Jer Curley, owner of Jack Doyle's Pub in Cove. It's 23 minutes past 10. The Neil Prenderville Show. And you can call the program on 1850-104-106. You can text us on 086-8104-106 or email neil at redfm.ie. Now, a statement from Guardian on drinking on Cork streets. Guardian and Cork on patrol observed a large number of persons congregating in the city centre and adjoining areas on the evening of Saturday, 29th of May. Uniformed Guardian, with the assistance of the Public Order Unit, dispersed a crowd at the city centre and later in the evening the Kennedy Key and Grand Parade areas. In total 12 persons were arrested by Gardaí in the city centre area for public order offences. As public health regulations continue to be reduced and activity begins to normalise on Garda Siakana, 
continues to remind the public of the ongoing public health guidelines, which include not to gather in large groups, maintain social distancing and the wearing of face coverings in crowded public spaces. Uh, on Garda Síochána continues to appeal to the public to avoid crowded areas and large gatherings. The Health Act 1947 uh, and all of its subsections are mentioned here and regulations are currently in force and Garda Síochána has and will continue to adopt a graduated policing response based on its tradition of policing by consent. This has seen Garda engage, educate, encourage and only as a last resort Enforce. I think that's well worth reading again. The Guardi will engage, educate, encourage, and only as a last resort enforce. The COVID-19 pandemic remains a public health crisis, and Angarda Siakana continues to appeal to all citizens to demonstrate personal and social responsibility to comply with public health guidelines and regulations in order to continue to save lives. We're back in a moment with vaccine certs. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And back to the phone lines and David. Hi, David. Good morning, Mick. Welcome back. Oh, thanks a million. Yeah, you, you have okay. a question to put, and I, it was in my mind to ask Owen Corey, but it was just very busy with, with lots of questions coming in. He was on about the green certificate. They don't want to call it uh, a vaccination passport anymore, but a green certificate. And he said it would be available on an app on your phone. What's your point? Well, I've been talking to a number of people, know, like, you know, kind of pensioners in the past couple of weeks when the health this was coming out, and it was going to be an app on your phone. But, like, my question... Make is that uh, there are hundreds of thousands of people like you know very well there's there's a lot of country and western um, festivals in Spain every year and the majority of them uh, are, are people that are between I say 50 and even 90 mm-hmm. and like I say a, major, a fair amount of them wouldn't have a smartphone would don't have these type of phones so, like, if these people know, well, they probably won't be going to any country music festival this year, but people could go on a holiday maybe to Spain just for two weeks and without no music. But, mm-hmm. like, so, how would, if, if they haven't got the phone and uh, and you can't travel without this uh, this certificate, how are, they, how are these people going to be looked after? I imagine for those people who don't, uh, and I know, I have relations who don't use smartphones. They just use the, you know, even the hard of hearing ones with big numbers so they can, they can not even send a text, but just answer and, uh, yeah. pr- principally answer and make a phone call if they have to. Um, and I, you know, I take your point. They're not going to have a smartphone. Maybe a laminated card or something. Yeah, we do. We just send them away. She said they'll probably, they'll probably get a handwritten certificate more than likely. But that's not, doesn't, there's not been no talk about that. Like, but I'm saying, like it's like like cashless money and ATM cards and all these kind of uh, banks. You can't go to a bank no more, and you have to have this kind of it. Like the elderly people are not. Uh, most people, elderly people, deal with cash. They're not interested in cards. They don't understand cards. Mm-hmm. And that's the way. That's the way. Unfortunately, the way the things are going. Like, but probably just kind of something about them. Um, even though uh, I was hoping to go away this year, like, but. Uh, but um, uh, I'm not into phones because I'm not into smartphones. I have one, but... I, I, would, have, have I would have imagined that a card would have been the, the best way to get the detail yeah. into the hands of everybody who wants to travel. If you've ever been on a cruise, on a cruise liner, uh, you're given a card when, when you check in. They take your picture and then you swipe that card and it comes up and it goes ding if, if, if it's uh, the correct card. And you're, you know, you're on the ship for that week. You'll, you'll get yeah. a ding. But the, the security person is also getting your facial 
recognition, uh, you know, to oh. match from the screen to your face. And, and that, yeah, that, yeah, that would yeah. seem to me to solve everything rather than putting it on phones. Yeah, but, yeah, but, uh, you know, you wouldn't, when you're talking to him, Carl, you didn't, uh, you didn't think of that. He might have had, he might have had an, an answer for you. Like, but, um, I suppose we just have to wait and see, Mick. Like, you know, don't, don't, in the next two months, whatever's going to happen. Yeah, I never knew there was country and western festivals in Spain. Are they huge there? Oh, they're, they're there for years, Mick. And what are they like? You would have, you would have Daniel O'Donnell, and you would have, you would have Dickie Rock, and you would have, uh, Declan Ernie and Robert uh, Michael Robert English, Mester. Mike Denver, all that gang. The whole of them would be there for a week in a hotel in Tom Molina, so there could be in a lot of small battle Spain, and there'd be thousands of others going to them. Okay, so, so it's an organised Irish country and Western festival in Spain. Yeah, you, you'd have you'd have a You'd have you'd have your entertainment uh, for the seven nights, and you'd have everything. You might pay a thousand euros or more, like for a week, but you'd have seven amazing shows, like you know, it. They're usually popular, but they're mostly popular. But um, country western is very popular, kind of in the Midlands and up in the north. You know what I mean? Well, I often travel to Donegal, and the, the, the further northwest you go, okay, the, the more you see the adverts for country and western. There's a beautiful hotel about five miles north of Oma. It's called the Melon Country Inn. And it yeah. is country and western central. Right. So at, the further northwest you go, the the, right. the affinity and the affection for Irish country and western gets stronger. Well, more, but the, the, the Michael Englishes and, and, and Declan Nurnleys and the Daniel O'Donnells, they're all living up in, the, up, up in the northern part of the country, and that's why it's huge up there. Like. I, I mean, here in Cockmixture, if you want to go to see any of them after this, you have to go to, what's the one out beyond Mallow? Did, 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 um, there's, a, there's a bad old there's a couple of miles that's gone mellow but that's, you have to, that's where you have to go so you can't have a drink down renting you know what I mean yeah there's nothing in Cork like, but there's no venue in Cork that facilitate for, 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 for that kind of entertainment I remember the happy days of Maudie Max it's now just a field is that right remember that place I do I remember Maudie Max yeah, yeah, yeah uh, I do. New, a new two pot house uh, all, all of those places are gone there was a lovely one in Mallow uh, the, where oh, I, I was about the, the, the one over the hazel tree Oh, that's right. Remember, remember the Majestic in Mallow? That's where I started my radio uh, career. And, and there's another one actually out in, the, out in Linville. Um, oh, Cades County. Cades County, yes, still and there. you remember yeah, the Majorca? The Majorca. Uh, do, I, do I what, Mick? <laughs> in Crosser. <laughs> Didn't Jim Reeves play in one of those? Didn't Jim Reeves play in uh, either the Majorca or Majorca, as they called it? Uh, he, he did. I, 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 I didn't see Jim Reeves at all, but I saw Roy Orbison down there. I saw Roy Orbison in the Majorca. I saw um, Peter Safted, the one his wonder. Where do you go to my lovely? He, he was there and he was, he was booed off the stage because all he had was the one song. Yeah. and uh, he, has, he has another one called Frozen Orange Juice, but that wasn't a huge hit at all. And uh, the Marmalade were there and uh, the foundations were there. Fill me up Buttercup. All the old memories. That's right. Make I, as I show on, a topic for an old day, maybe I want to get people's views on this, like... Um, the way all sports are gone, right? I watched Cork and Clare in football yesterday, right? And right. I spoke to a few friends of mine last night, and one person said he turned it off after 10 minutes. Um, like, there was one past the t- 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 around the 12th minute yesterday of the game. I counted between the goalkeeper pack- uh, passing the ball out, and it only went to start the halfway line. 37 hand passes, right? And they lost the ball in the middle of the field. It didn't even go beyond the halfway line. 37 passes. Now, that took about three three minutes or maybe more. 
No. So what are you saying? Too, too much hand passing, is it? I think for every 10 or 15 passes now in a game of football, yesterday there was one kick or a 15 passes. That's supposed like, to be football. Yeah, I mean, make, I could, you could bring 15 under 10s out in the field and say, look, here's a ball, hand pass the ball around here among yourselves, I'll go away for a half an hour and I'll come back to you again. Sure, like, no senior footballer has to be trained how to hand pass the ball. Like, so what, what in the name of God are they doing in training three nights a week? Like, if that's all they're doing. Maybe the hand passing is more accurate. I, I don't know. I don't follow it. So. Yeah, how is it? Yeah, 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 but like, it's, it's, it's quite. The, the idea of the, the, the more you hand pass the ball slowly, you go back with the ball, make the, the, the defence have more time to, to set up and, and organise. But like, the game is supposed to be played at speed and at pacing. Get the, it's a simple game. Holding is a simple game. Like, the, Chris Deering had a documentary there, like, the couple, if you say, on, on RT or on TG Carr. He was uh, displaying the skills of the game, the overhead pull and the ground holding it and, and, and the hooping and all these. Completely gone out of the game. It's just uh, rugby is all there. Uh, six foot nine, six foot ten, fellas, 19 stone, uh, belting, just running straight at each other and knocking the living dealers on the people, like. The chaps. Golf, he's gone like a par four long. Golf, there's a, pair, a player there called Bryson DeChambeau, Mick. And there's Justin Johnson, but particularly the Shambo, he's landing the ball on the green in the power four, like so. Like there's no skill in that. He just that's like a long puck competition and holding, getting the ball, putting the ball down the ground and giving it one good lash and hoping that it goes straight. I would, I'd say there's a huge skill in putting the ball on the green in the first shot of a power four. But surely, where's this? Where's this? Where's the skill? Like the like Jack Nicholas, I'm going them, Cocky and Tom Watson. Like this, there was a skill in the second shot, and walking out how, how to lay it up and all that. Like, but sure, getting the ball on two green all in one. Like, all right, you will pull the shambles, uh, put on about two or three stone there in the last twelve months, and that's how he's able to do it. Like, yeah, what's, no the, skill, that, like. what's what's the old saying in golf? Drive for show and putt for dough. So, like, I know, like, and, 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 and here's another for holding fans: Limerick are all Ireland champions, and between. Last year's championship and the three games they've played so far in the league this year, eight games in total, they've scored one goal. One. In eight games, and they're all Ireland champions. All the holding games on make are the score in every, every week is 29 points to 28, 32 points to 27, no goals. It's just all point taking. So, like, I mean, when I was growing up, like, in the 60s and 70s, following Cock and Jimmy Barry Murphy and Ray Cummins and Jerry McCarthy, the scores used to be like four twenty one to five seventeen. Like, all right, David. Maybe it's a topic for maybe, another day. A topic for another day. Maybe people yeah. ring in and give their views on it. You know. All right. Thanks very much for that. Thanks, Mick. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. I want to go to Doctor Nick Flynn. Has been waiting for a while. Thanks for waiting, Doctor Nick. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Nick. How are you getting on? I'm good. Now, from sure rapid testing and COVID screening in Cork, we have some hotels going the extra mile to uh, kind of encourage a safe reopening. Uh, since it was confirmed hotels are opening for leisure on June 2nd, uh, we have heard that some hotels are going to be providing antigen testing at least twice a week for their staff. Will this be effective, do you think? Well, I think the, the more testing that we do, make the, the, the safer that society will be. So, uh, we had a situation, I suppose, at the start of the pandemic uh, where this is a new virus and the first test on the pitch was the PCR test. And people will be very familiar with that now. It's the HSC uh, test and it's also the test that you need for travel for most places. But PCR has its limitations. The main 
two being that it's an expensive test and also the turnaround time is quite long in that it's hard to get a same day result and normally it's an, an next day. And the reason for that is that after the test is taken from the patient or the person being, being tested, it's then transported to a lab and there's a lab process and the result comes back. Where, where the hotels and for other um I suppose industries are, are using antigen testing is uh, in serial testing, so in, in testing their employees uh, once weekly, sometimes twice weekly. And the advantage of the antigen test uh, is that it's a near patient test, so it's portable. It doesn't require a lot of fancy lab equipment, so it's a point of care test, and it's a lot less expensive, and you get a result within 15, 20 minutes. Okay. There's no, no specialist skill, really, once the people are trained to use it properly, uh, to carry out the test properly according to the instructions for use from, from, from the manufacturer and as long as they've got safe testing procedures for their staff uh, from an infection control point of view and then the final bit is they just need to have a protocol in place for dealing with positive results and and, and really make it look like allowing uh, I suppose um, organisations who have you know maybe a hundred staff or 70 or 80 staff, whatever it is. And they really can't carry the cost of a PCR test of 120, 130 euros per employee per week. And the antigen testing where it's in that model where it's self-administered can be as low as 15, you know, certainly under 20 euros per test. Uh-huh. Okay, the, the government or the powers that be, shall we say, have, if, if not dismissive, they've been... Um, you know, a little critical, shall we say, of the availability of these uh, antigen tests in, for instance, the German multiples and, and, you know, the mass availability of antigen tests. On the other side, you have the airlines who say, let's deploy antigen tests for everyone who wants to travel and let's get on with flying again. Um, where I can see the benefit where there's a huge volume of staff, say 200 or 300 staff in a factory or a hotel in getting twice weekly antigen tests. That would certainly give public confidence to uh, customers of that factory or hotel. Uh, but will it work for airlines in the way they want? Uh, I suppose it, it, it comes down to the, the risk management mechanism. Uh, and for the, for the airline industry, um, there's two there's two factors. There's the airlines themselves and then there's the receiving country. So uh, in, that, in most cases, we're seeing that where testing is needed, the receiving country still wants a PCR test. Um, in some cases, PCR and antigen. So PCR was in uh, 72 hours or three days of travel and antigen test within 48 hours of travel. So there really are a number of variables there. And as I said, all testing makes society safer and makes the activity safer. What's important though about testing, what's important about antigen testing in particular is that it allows us to do what we're allowed to do anyway but do it more safely. So the non-detected test of the antigen test, it doesn't allow anybody to break public health guidelines, but it allows them to carry on their activities in a safer fashion. So we've had a lot of experience of asymptomatic people testing positive antigen testing that wouldn't otherwise have been tested because they didn't have symptoms and they weren't a known close contact of the case. And these patients have subsequently gone to have positive PCR tests uh, and they've been, I suppose, self-isolating from the moment they've had the positive antigen test. So it has broken the chain of transmission sure. in that regard. So it's additional testing to make it safer. And the cost and the speed of turnaround time is really the thing. And when it comes to, I think, the, the government's concern around um, 
developed the testing in, say, retail, even retail pharmacies maybe, you know, but certainly in the German multiples. I think it's as much about the, the process by which you do the test, so to make sure that the sample is taken from the right part of the, of the nose, uh, to make sure that then it is, I mean, it's a very simple test, but there, is a, there are a few steps in kind of the local chemistry of the neopatient uh, processing of the test. Um, and then, of course, there's what do you do if you have a positive test. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it's not that it can't be done by people uh, at home, but there, it's just more complicated. And so for, for we are working with uh, so retail and business organizations, uh, we offer to do the testing. So we, we, we have healthcare professionals that go on site and test. But we also have a service where we offer training for the team to test. And that training is about how you administer the test, you know, the, the pre-test process, you know, how you protect the tester so that they're using appropriate PP and appropriate infection control guidelines. And then also about how you manage the positive results. And again, all the time being very clear that everybody understands that a non-detected test doesn't allow you to do anything that you're not allowed to do anyway, but you could do what you're allowed to do anyway with sure. a certain degree of satisfaction that you're more safe to do it. So the company is Sure Rapid Testing and COVID Screening Cork. And yeah. uh, let, let's let's recognize the initiative here and give credit where credit is due. The two hotels, the sister hotels, Photo Island Resort and the Kingsley Hotel, and they've taken it upon themselves. That's very important to, to clarify. They've taken it upon themselves to provide in-house COVID-19 antigen testing for their own staff because they believe that antigen testing is a valuable weapon in the fight against the spread of COVID-19 and can identify any potential asymptomatic cases helping to prevent disruption to the summer break that we've all been looking forward to. I just want to quote Charlie Deneen. He's the HR manager for both hotels and he explained how it's going to work. Uh, There's no obligation on the staff to get tested, but Charlie said that the benefits were explained to staff and then the majority were happy to be tested up to twice a week. There is no uh, obligation to do so. Uh, but uh, when it was explained to the staff that this would improve the chances of a successful and continued uh, reopening, uh, most of them were happy uh, to take it up. So I, I suppose it, it will identify very quickly uh, an outbreak of one was going to happen, and it will give a measure of confidence to the incoming customers of Photo Island Resort and Kingsley Hotel that, the, that this initiative has been put in place by management. No, absolutely, because what antigen tests are very good at are identifying people who are infectious. So that you have the satisfaction that the people that you're meeting at reception, at the bar, in the restaurant, that they've been tested recently, and that test has been non-detected. And don't forget what we're saying is that that uh, they didn't have to have that test. That was an additional layer of safety that uh, FOSA have put in. Uh, an additional and, layer of cost. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely, an additional layer of cost. Uh, on the cost side, we are working hard to make this an affordable solution. Uh, so, like, what we want to do, I mean, the, the cost comes in several points. So you've got the cost of the test itself, you've got the cost of the personal protective equipment, you've got, you know, then you've got the cost of somebody who's actually administering the test. And at each layer in, in that process, we're trying to work with organisations to make it as affordable uh, as we can for them and to, and to choose the, the solution that's right for them. And a very important part is the, the, what you do with a positive test. So, for example... Well, that, that must be the most important element of your support, is it? Oh no, absolutely yes. So, so, so we we have um, a support service that, uh, it, when there is a positive test, that we speak to the um, employee who has tested positive. That their the public health line, guidelines are explained clearly. 
the, the medical safety netting takes place to make sure they're not, they're not unwell. And then as for the HSC guidelines, that, that test is converted to a PCR test um, that day or the, the first opportunity. So there's a little bit in it, but it's a process that works very smoothly. And, and, it's, and, and as you said, look, I mean, the, 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 the photo group aren't, aren't the only organisation doing it. There's a lot of organisations doing it, but in fairness uh, to Charlie and to the team in photo, they have been on it since, well, they're on it for many months at this stage, so they were very early uh, to convert to the additional testing. Yeah, I suppose you don't want to find any uh, staff member positive, but if you do, it underpins the value of the endeavour anyway, uh, because yeah, you, can, but, you can then essentially advise and remove that person from circulation, put them through the, uh, the, the screening system, a PCR test. C- can you uh, speed up that availability for PCR with a positive antigen test? Well, the, the, once the patient, uh, once, the, once the employee has a positive test, uh, the, the HSE, uh, there is a pathway for a HSE test. Uh, and in fairness to the HSE, the, the PCR testing now is quite slick. You know, we are getting same day tests from referrals. It's up until early afternoon normally uh, with a next day result. So that's that's one option. We, 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 we can arrange the testing to our own. Uh, services, but once the antigen test is positive, uh, we, we recommend that the organisation would use the HSE pathways um, and the patient is self-isolated straight away. Mm-hmm. We, we can see, you know, by the crowds on the quays and in the city centres over the weekend with the good weather, that people are kind of mentally at the end of their tether uh, as regards uh, you know, extended lockdowns. So it is ironic I suppose that if we have good weather and we're only about a month away from getting over the line with, uh, you know, the, that critical mass of vaccinations, uh, it's good to see that there are uh, endeavours like this in place so that uh, hotels like Photo Island and Kingsley can play their part in the safe return to ongoing tourism. Well, absolutely, Nick. Uh, you know, I mean, this weekend the weather has been fantastic and we hopefully we look forward, forward to more of that for the summer. Very important for, for businesses, for outdoor dining, etc. Is, is, is going to be part of the, of the business model and an integral part of it. So, look... Yeah, we can all look forward, hopefully, to, to, to a summer that we can socialise uh, safely without restrictions that we've had for the last six or nine months, really. So we'll be, we'll be all looking forward to that. And will the hotel have sort of marketing material put up to say we're doing this, our staff have uh, subscribed to the, the initiative and uh, we're doing it to make you feel safe? Will they have sort of promotional material up to say you can be at ease here, we're doing everything we can to make sure your stay is a safe one? I'm unsure about about that, Nick, but I wouldn't see why not. But in fairness to that particular hotel group, they they have embraced the additional testing, as you said, at significant cost to themselves. And it does make the the overall experience or the overall risk for people attending their hotels a lot less. But again, I'd be... I suppose it's important to say they're not the only business doing it. They're not the only hotel group doing it. Feel feel um, free to mention others if 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 you can. Yeah, I uh, know I, I wouldn't mention anybody else without without their permission. But but in, in fairness, it, it is something the hospitality sector are, are looking at. I mean, when you look at we're talking about travel, Nick. When you're looking at like the cost of a PCR test currently, like between nineteen and maybe one hundred and thirty euros, and a family of four going on holidays for a week or ten days. You know, it's it's a horrendous cost because you've got that cost going out. And you've got probably got that cost coming back in, or certainly the, the, the PCR test seems to be less expensive maybe abroad. But you know, you've got significant uh, costs going out. So we, we all have to look at options uh, to bring the cost of testing down and make it affordable to people. So it becomes more uh, that where people, where, where testing is required for people to go about what 
they would normally do, that it's something that, 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 the cost of testing doesn't become a problem. Yeah, I, have, I have general figures of PCR costing 90 to 150 here, and if you're in Spain or Portugal on the way back, costing you about 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, certainly uh, as a provider, we, we will be unable to, 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 to provide that because, like, like I say, like the lab costs, uh, courier costs, PPE costs, staff costs, mm-hmm. you know, the, the doctor costs. I mean, in fairness, it's, it's great that it is available at 50 euros uh, abroad, but it's be okay. If members of the hospitality sector, Dr. Nick Flynn, want to get in touch with Sure Rapid Testing and COVID Screening Cork, how do they do that? On the website, so surerapidtesting.ie uh, will be, for, for the hospitality sector, would be the expensive one. COVID Screening Cork really, at the moment, is dealing mainly with individuals and pre-travel, uh, and it's in the city centre on Union Key. And Sure Rapid Testing really is uh, uh, mainly a mobile uh, testing service uh, where we can go on site to organisations, but also where we offer the, 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 the training and the, and the governance piece around organisations who, who want to test themselves and do so safely. Okay. And once again, uh, congrats to Charlie Deneen, who's gone public on it, the HR manager for the uh, Fota Island Resort in Kingsley Hotel, uh, and who says the antigen test uh, staff in-house has given him and his team uh, immeasurable confidence in running a safe business throughout this pandemic. Dr. Nick Flynn from Sure Rapid Testing and COVID Screening Cork. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Cheers. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And it's Mick Mulcahy in for Neil for a couple of weeks. A very good morning to you all. Now, Musgrave Marketplace have given us some fantastic prizes this week as they are supporting the reopening and the rebuilding of Irish hospitality. Of course, uh, Musgrave Marketplace are central to supplying some of Ireland's leading hospitality providers, such as uh, today our prize for Copper Grove in Bandon. We have two for Sutton's Bar and Bistro at the Rochestown Park Hotel. Lovely spot. Tuesday and Thursday's prize. Uh, that will be. Uh, on Wednesday, it's going to be the Maritime Hotel in Bantry, and uh, it's going to be Ramen Fresh to Walk at, uh, on Friday, 150 your voucher there will go a long way. And our overall prize for one of our daily winners will be a 500 euro voucher on Friday for the Brehan Hotel, lovely hotel in Killarney. And as Cork reopens, Irish hospitality needs more than just luck. It needs you. And all this week, we're teaming up with uh, Musgrave Marketplace, an Irish family business passionate about supporting jobs in our local economy. 145-year heritage in the business. And they're encouraging you to show your support by dining out when, of course, you can safely. All week, we're going to be giving you the chance to win vouchers to these restaurants and hotels across Munster. And with Musgrave Marketplace, uh, the hospitality industry, of course, needs us. We have this lovely competition of theme tunes. Now, I only played it once last time, so I'll play it twice now. But please do not call us until we open the lines closer to 12 o'clock. We'll need you to identify these three signature tunes, two of which I believe are very easy. Last one's got me stumped, but the first two I find easy anyway. Let's play it again for you so uh, you've got one more listen to it, and we'll play it again before we open the lines in about an hour's time. Last one is tough there, but uh, before 12 o'clock, we'll give away with Musgrave Marketplace uh, 150 euro voucher to Copper Grove in Bandon. Now, by email to uh, neil at redfm.ie, when are you going to deal with the issue that impacts hugely on the housing crisis in Ireland? That issue being the giving of our own door accommodation to asylum seekers and refugees. Asylum seekers will get their own door accommodation after four months. Refugees get a house stroke apartment immediately. Own door accommodation means an apartment or house, nothing more, 
nothing less. The numbers of asylum seekers and refugees coming here is set to increase dramatically. So where are we going to get all these houses and apartments? It will be at the expense of the Irish. It has to be. That aside, we are going to cover Ireland with houses, 33 to 40,000 houses a year. Do people not realise we are turning Ireland into a concrete jungle? And so says Mary. And uh, let's go to uh, crowds gathering now and to line five and to Nora. Good morning, Nora. Hello. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I was, the, um, the reason you're calling me. I can't see the... And no, there's my phone is going to die any minute. Um, the, I can't see the big problem about people gathering outdoors because it, it, they're encouraging people to dine outdoors. And yes, when, when people come, like the old beach store yesterday, it was, it was crowded. And um, I, I, I can't see the big problem about families coming down to enjoy the sunshine. I mean, come on. Yeah, but families in, in sort of bubble groups is okay. But what about 500, yes. 500 people together, very close proximity? Yeah, but I mean, they were, they were, they were groups of people. But I, I reckon these groups of people would have been together anyway. You know, you have friends, young people gathering together. And they would be doing that all the time. You know, they were, they, they weren't, it wasn't like a, a crowded mass of people like we'd be there long ago. They were in groups of people. Yeah, so. No, I know, I know that the boardwalk was crowded. Now, I didn't, I'm from y'all. I didn't walk out the boardwalk. I went up the, the road there by the swimming pool because for that reason, that I didn't want to go into a crowd. I know. In, I mean, in, in, in one sense, you, 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 need, you need to expect responsibility from people. In the other sense, what do you expect people to do when the sun is blazing down after such a lousy May? Okay. Exactly. I mean, especially especially the young people. I mean, come on, they their lives have been turned upside down, and they need to meet their friends, and they're better off meeting their friends out in the beach, out in the fresh air. And how how transmissible is COVID? Do you get it by talking to someone out in the air, or do they have to sneeze into your face for you to get it? Yeah, because a few weeks ago they were saying, you know, when you're thinking somewhere, think outdoors. Now they're yes. saying, if you gather outdoors, we'll lock, lock you all down again. We'll lock you down. Again, that's because Tony Hoolan got his knickers in a twist because he saw <laughs> people gathering inside in the middle of Dublin. What? what? We don't know how long this is going to go on for. Now, the way I look at it is, the majority of the people who are vulnerable, who would need hospitalisation, are vaccinated. Yes. Uh, the the now, major cohort of the vulnerable are now vaccinated, doubly vaccinated. so. Vaccinated. Right. Now, the majority of people that we get, if I, some of them get it worse than others, the majority of people will get over it, like a very bad flu, and get on with their lives. I mean, do they have to lock us down until COVID, the numbers are gone completely? I mean, this is insane. So they're making a big deal of things. I'll leave it there. Thank, thank you very much, Nora. Thank but you. there was lots of people in Yall Strand, as there was in Dublin and in Cork yesterday. Absolutely. Nora reckons it was fine. Okay. You reckon okay. it's not a problem? Thanks a million. Bye-bye. Two and a half minutes to 11. News is on the way. Hey, it's Killian. Join me Sundays from 10 for loads of music, a bit of chat, and my mildly interesting facts of the weekend. It's the Sunday 10 to 2 show with Killian on Cork's Red FM. Emerald Music Station of the Year. You're on Cork's Red FM. And a very good morning to you from the Neil Prendival Show. I want to get to uh, this email before we uh, continue with the business of the program. Dear Neil, we always hear so many stories about the medical system being overrun and underfunded, leaving little time for connection with the patients. I feel that based on the experience I just had in the CUH, it was my duty to openly thank them. Uh, through this letter. You see, I am terminally ill. I have lung cancer and COPD. A few years ago, 
I went through chemotherapy and a course of radiation, which has now left me dependent on taking oxygen daily. On trips outside the house, I have to bring a wheelchair with me as I can't stand for long without becoming breathless. On May 6th, my breathing took a turn for the worst and I was taken by ambulance to the CUH. I was very afraid and thought I was dying. From the moment I arrived in the accident and emergency, right through the entire stay, I was treated with nothing but respect and was really, really looked after. All of the staff from the nurses, chefs and the two doctors who took care of me Dr. Hendrick and Dr. Jackson were just so kind. I even managed to have a giggle or two in the ward with the other cancer patients I met and have kept in contact with some of them through daily texts. I want to thank all of these wonderful people, these wonderful staff who were so good to me all the way through my time there. I was left out last Monday by a different woman. I'm gone now uh, and gone down now on the amount of oxygen I have to use daily. I can breathe much more freely and my mobility has improved. My life has changed so much, I'm no longer going from chair to bed. They all could not have done enough for me. Uh, and I would like to, uh, to thank them from the bottom of my heart. I'll keep your, uh, your surname, Mary. Uh, that is from Mary in Little Island. Back to our phone lines and to Jason on line six. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mick. How are you? Okay, you're taking issue with Nora, who said it's a big, you're making a big deal out of nothing. Crowds are fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's ridiculous. I, I'm not sure if that woman lives in, in the city centre or not. Like, I live in the city centre myself, and, like, it seems to be getting worse now, uh, weekend after weekend. Like, uh, I was in there on Friday night and Saturday night, and, uh, I mean, I'm I'm quite positive, like, the likes of Centra and um, so on, all these places serving takeaway bears. I don't see many IDs being asked for, like... The, the, the crowds on Grand Parade the other night were just... You swear there was a concert going on, like... I, I saw a video of huge crowds running down the Grand Parade. Yeah, I seen that, and um, I think you were saying that they were running from the guards. That was actually after a fight, because I was just outside Hillbillies at that stage. I was just getting um, something to eat uh, after work, and it was just jam-packed there, um, and there was a group of youths um, started having an argument... And one guy, he must have been, I don't know, they were all under 16, I would imagine, uh, punched uh, one girl in the face. And she couldn't have been more than four or five foot. She was tiny. Um, so then they were all running after, uh, her crowd were all running after their crowd. Oh, that's what it was, was it? Yeah. I, I, th- I thought the running was a bit vigorous to be running from guards who were just trying to, you know, engage yeah. and, and, and break up a close proximity gathering. It seemed like they were running from something uh, more yeah, sinister, all right. It was um, it was quite a cowardly thing to do anyway. But um, like if you didn't have, like I grew up in the city centre, and I can't remember it ever being like that. Most people that I did grow up with are saying the same. Like that's me. Like I went in town yesterday morning out for a run, and the town just smelled of piss. Like it, like it, it smelled like back in the eighties. It, it just smelled disgusting. Like I mean, Grand Parade was full of glass and bottles and cans and like takeaway cups and I don't know how they're getting away with it because even like I was on the Grand Prix for about 20 minutes because there was a queue for hillbillies and I didn't see one guard pass me I seen a couple of vans parked but like even so I don't know how the guards can deal with that, that them numbers but drinking is illegal on the streets how has it been left go and I heard your point there like saying that they've been locked up for so long and you know we've all been locked up for so long like we're all in the same boat you don't see, like, 90% of the population going down acting the scumbag because let's call a spade a spade. It's scumbags. 
that's what they're doing. Like on the street, maybe a portion of them are, are having their drink, socialising happily. But the, the majority of them are just scumbags. It's plain and simple, like. I wouldn't say the majority now, but you you put drink in, into that sort of a situation, and you know things can kick off. It's been kicking where, off for Jason. Where are these guys going to the jacks? Are they going in the doors of businesses or what? Yeah, I mean, like for instance, if you walk down Tucky Street there. Like, Tucky Street is just one big toilet, no? Like, I mean, it's... And it's it's quite despicable because, like, you have girls, boys, just everybody going together, peeing, like, right in front of everybody. There's no, like... I mean, we've all we've all done that when we were, like, younger in, in town, of pushing or whatever, and you'd find a side alley or whatever if, if there was a public toilet open. But you don't just be going right out in the, in the open and... And then running around, and I seen like, uh, like for instance, I seen a couple of young fellas going through town, and they seemed like nice lads. They were they weren't drinking, they were young fellas, but they were getting bullied by a couple of uh, other lads that weren't. I wouldn't put them down as nice fellas. Mm-hmm. They were asking, "Give me your phone, give me your shoes, and all that." Just that kind of scumbag. Like, I don't know. I, I think the guards should be going in with batons and smacking them in the head. I wonder where where, where where do we stand legally with the fact that you know, there, there was no need for any Irish pub to serve takeaway drink before because people could go into the pub, people could sit yeah. outside the pub. Now they can't, uh, for the moment anyway. Um, but I wonder where we stand on your point there with the the legality of drinking in public spaces. I mean, under I mean under Irish law, it's, as far as I'm as far as I know, anyway. There hasn't been any amendment to Irish law about drinking. Has there not been so, an amendment to, to facilitate the likes of uh, Princess Street, where they're going to go al fresco dining and stuff? Has that been a blanket um, quashing of that no drinking on the street legal enforcement? I don't know. Well, I mean, if you're drinking, like, if that's a, like a, I suppose that's a premises where you're drinking on Princess Street, that's, that's made for that. Like, they're putting in them amendments for that. But when it comes to just walking around, like, they're just walking around with bottles of vodka and cans and, like, like, there's a lot of them just looking for trouble. And, like, like, I don't know, I think the guards should be going in with a more heavy-handed tactic. What sort of age group did you see while you were standing outside Hillbillies? I would say 90% of them were under 18. Like, like maybe even 95% of them were under 18. Most of the older people were, you know, around by electric or, you know, they were standing outside the bars enjoying themselves. But not acting as scumbags. And is, is there a sort of a demarcation if, if there's if there's a place, for instance, that little park, that lovely little park by Electric? Is there older people kind of making that their preserve, and then younger people gathering elsewhere, or what? <coughs> what was that? I'm just up in Lee Fields for a run. There, there seems to be a little marathon going on. The Irish Cancer Society. Oh, fair play to them. Um, I know, I was thinking there, I'm back down in Grand Parade for a second. I was going to ask you, where's all the wind coming from? Are you out sailing or what? Yeah, no, it's quite windy. I'll get behind a tree there, but um, I'm out in the Lee Fields. But um, yeah, I don't know, I just think something should be done, whereas I think the demographic where the older people are kind of taking their spots outside electric, outside the the pubs on Princess Street and stuff like that, but they're not causing trouble neither. The majority of them, it's like I'm. I'm sure, like most of the callers that are talking about town and saying, "Oh, oh, we can't be keeping them locked up and all this." I'm sure they don't live in town and have to deal with it. You know, people waking up and there's there's people's urine and stuff all over their you know their, their doorsteps and businesses having to clean 
I mean, they're dealing with enough trying to get back open without having to deal with people's pissing crap all over their, their doorways and glass and bottles. And, how and how safe do you think our city is at night now, especially at weekends? Absolutely. Like, I lived in um, a couple of cities all over the world, and Cork is still one of the most dangerous places I've ever seen. Like, when it comes to, like, just... Just random acts of thuggery. Yeah, just like people just get like that girl, for instance. I don't know how old she was, but she was looked very young. Um, and she got a smack off a fella. Like that doesn't happen in. That's just that's just a man should get a beaten. Man should be locked up. Like um, I don't know. I think Cork is. is it's, it's, I don't like it anymore. I can't wait to get out of here. To be honest. All right, Jason. It's very hard to hear you with the, with, with the wind, but thanks from uh, from your vantage point there in the Lee Fields, and best of luck to that marathon if it's uh, if it's an aid of cancer services. Uh, okay, okay. Only ha- too happy to publicize that. Thanks a million, Jason. Cheers. Thanks. Very Cheers. Much. Thanks. Bye bye. Let's get to some of the texts and emails that have come into the program that Neil didn't quite get to before he left. Uh, hi, Neil. I can one hundred percent relate to your listeners who are struggling to find a place to live. We are trying our absolute best to save for our own place. We haven't spent a penny. We don't eat out, we don't drink, and we don't buy anything. This is our choice because we have a focus, an end goal, that we would be rewarded with our own home that we want to buy. We've been working towards purchasing a new house in the county for the past year. This has been our goal, to buy an overpriced, two-bedroomed, terraced house in a certain area. Don't get me wrong, we're looking at every option, but with the older houses... We are being outbid 50 to 60 grand above the asking price. We cannot compete with this. So the new development seemed our only option as we can apply for help to buy. The help to buy scheme is only available for new builds, unfortunately. So to cut a long story short, we've been working towards a two bed house. We had a viewing last year in which we were informed there would be two phases launched in 2021, one in spring and one in autumn. With no sign of a spring launch, I called the estate agents the other day to our complete and utter devastation, frustration and anger. We were told there would be no more launches at all as the remaining properties have been sold to private clients and friends of the developers. Neil, these houses are still under construction. They are still available on daft.ie. They are still offering hope to people like us who have been working towards this for the past year or so. My partner and I are devastated. We are in a house share, and after 13 years together and saving, we're desperate to have our own space. We have never been able to afford our own place in Ireland. I'm 31. The majority of my friends left Ireland for Australia and Canada after we finished college due to the lack of jobs and opportunities here in Ireland. We are ready to follow them now, with no future or opportunities here still. We can't see a future for us here anymore. We could when we were dreaming and planning our life together in our new house that we are ready and waiting to buy. But the houses just aren't available to us anymore. Private investors and nepotism means that owning our own place is not an option anymore in Ireland. We're losing hope here. I cannot begin to describe just how desperate we are right now. But there are no options for us. If we were to rent a place of our own, we wouldn't be able to afford to live. We'd be working to pay rent. And what's the point of that? We really are considering leaving Ireland and starting to actually live our lives and enjoy ourselves rather than being so unhappy in a shared situation with zero opportunity to get out of it. Please make your listeners aware of the incredible work of the of the journalist Rory Hearn, H-E-A-R-N-E. Uh, you can find him easily on Twitter. He is doing Trojan work to highlight these situations. Please ask your listeners to get behind this movement to end the housing crisis in Ireland. 
Thanks for highlighting this on your show. We need to take action and take back the right to a home in Ireland rather than seeing houses as investments. We can't come on air as I'm at work, but I do have a lot to say about this. Well, maybe another time, let's sign T. Maybe we could talk to Rory Hearn or talk to that person who signed that email T. Uh, but that is heartbreaking, really. Desperately trying to buy a new home and just being bid out of it in this market. So where are we going with the housing situation in Ireland? Are we going to be into a more bohemian, Parisian-style renting situation? Uh, or are our children going to be faced with a boat and the airplane, as many generations before have? It is 20 minutes past 11 on The Neil Prendeville Show. Talk to Neil Prendeville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. Coming up on 23 minutes past 11. Heather, thank you so much for waiting for so long. How are you? I'm good, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, you were a manager of a restaurant in Toronto for two years and a cafe in Cork for two years. You're a HACCP qualified, which is the uh, hygiene standards for food preparation. You studied food science and nutrition and years of prep chef experience, uh, but you were made redundant. And now it seems to get uh, almost impossible to get work in Cork because of? Um, Piercings, tattoos, coloured hair. (laughs) Your appearance, and I like. I just wanted to highlight that I don't think that should matter anymore. Like it is getting a bit more kind of, you know, better than it was. Because I remember years ago, you'd never see anyone in like the retail shops with piercings or coloured hair, and you are now. But it's still, especially with restaurants. I know I heard last week that they were finding it very hard to get anyone, like chefs or waiting staff or anything like that, and. I've been, like, uh, going for interviews and all that. And even before I went for an interview in a cafe sandwich bar in Cork, that's well known. And she just saw me start, you know, like, I took out all my other persons. And she was like, there's no point in interviewing you with that. Do you still want me to talk to you? I was like, yes, please. (laughs) Well, I'm just looking at a picture of you here. You've got four uh, piercings under your lip and... uh uh, just below your nose, another one. Is that, is that what you leave in all the time? Well, I took them out for the interview that time, yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's what I have. You've got a series of rings in your ear as well. I can just see a part of your ear in this picture. So uh, it, yeah. it, it doesn't look to me to be overly, uh, yeah. you know, people call it body art, I suppose. So, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of Ed Sheeran. He uses his 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 body as a as a landscape for yeah. art, and he he says, well, "However old I get, I don't care how, much, how how bad I look with these things. All of my memories will be on me." Yeah, like it's. I think it's kind of just a bit backwards in Ireland because I lived in New Zealand in twenty no ten, and like people in banks there have like tattoos, face tattoos, and that was totally acceptable. And when I lived in Toronto. I just remember how refreshing I was going for interviews and they weren't staring at my ears. That's the main thing. Like, I have even took out all my other persons and just left in the first year and in Ireland, everywhere just stares at that. Like, the whole time I'm talking and then in Canada, they were looking at me and I was actually like, oh my God, this is so weird. <laughs> They're just talking to me like a normal person. Why, why do you think there's a stigma attached to piercings and to a certain extent, I suppose, to body art? I I think it's just like the old traditional, you know. They must be a bit of a weirdo, is it? And yeah, like yeah, like criminals had tattoos and whatever. But it's so yeah. The tattoos you know, came from the navel, wasn't it? Um, you know, mum or mother yeah. and love and all this thing, and <laughs> you know, one on each of the fingers. Yeah, but like you know, it's obviously different now, and 
like that, you know, people might think you sound amazing on paper and then just by looking at you, you just know. Like, I went for interviews and I sound amazing and talked to them for ages on the phone and then, you know, during COVID and then they're like, oh, you take off the mask and then they're like, oh, you seem to me to be a dedicated, a diligent, and above all, a qualified worker in the nutrition, food science, and food delivery, right? Um, yeah. and, and testament to that is you only took one sick day in 2014 yeah. when your knee swelled from a fly bite. Yeah, um, and so you, you know, you're you're at your desk, you're you're turning up for work, you're turning up, you know, for yeah. battle every day of the week, except that one day in 2014 yeah. over a number of years. Yeah. <laughs> And I rang her back later and I was like, I can come in, but she was like, no, it's covered now. But um, yeah, like even in Toronto, it was minimum 60 hour week. And we like, it was me and my husband working, managing, and it was 60 to 70 hours that we were doing every week. And wow. there's only, you only get 10 days off in the year over there. And we didn't get any of the bank holiday. And we were sick there and we were there for the two years and we absolutely loved it. Because, yeah, you can go in and be yourself and get paid well for, you know. What's a stretch to ear, Heather? <laughs> it's just putting, um, like, a bigger sized piece of jewellery in your ear. To it weigh it down, it. is it? Uh, well, you can leave a weight in it or you can have a big tunnel in it. So mine is 30 minutes now. Well, but, um, yeah. I, I never did get those huge hoop earrings. I just can imagine people getting it caught in something and pulling the air out of themselves. <laughs> Pumping with blood. Uh, no, that's never happened. So this this manager person in 2013 told your CV was unreal, and you were the first person she called because the CV was so good. And then yeah. she saw the stretched ear and literally laughed and said, "I can't hire you with that." Yeah, exactly. And like, it's not a case of oh, you know, it's dangerous being around food. Like, it's you know, you see people with earrings in restaurants or working their managers just a normal earring. This is literally, like, you know, stretched, so it's not going to fall out. And, yeah, she said, I actually rang her back to say, oh, I'm just wondering if there's any updates because I want to stay in touch with her. And she said, oh, it's so funny because I put your CV on the top of everyone else's and I was just making back. And she was like, oh, that's the same. And then as soon as she saw me, she just laughed and was like, just not any point talking to. I was like, okay. Do you think she's, she's projecting, <laughs> even though your has have qualified, do you think she's project, projecting an element of uh, unhygienic appearance to her customers, perhaps? <laughs> um, no, like, that's, you know, you see people with earrings and nose piercings and they're Can you move around there, Heather? I can't really hear you. You can just move to a slightly different position, if you don't mind. Sorry. That's much better, um, yeah. You know, you'd see people uh, like with earrings or wearing a wedding ring or a necklace or they're having their hair down or pieces of their hair down. These are all things I notice as well when I go in to eat anywhere. I'm like, oh my God, their hair is touching off everything. And like, you know, that's fine because they look like in quotation marks normal. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't think there's anything to do with that. Like I, you know, would go in wearing like a blazer and suit pants and like I said I've taken out my piercings and like I just can't really take out the stress here and yeah it's just like staying with that so okay. it's like you know they dismiss you before you even are even talked to and like my husband had the same issue and he like you know has a sleeve of tattoos and 
Well, I, I suppose anybody is in their is in within their rights to to not offer you the job at interview stage. But what if you played the game a little and and removed everything you could? Right, went in in disguise almost, got mm-hmm. the job, and then put them back in. Now they're on a sticky wicket because they can't they can't fire you uh, for wearing what you're wearing. Yeah, but they they'll just say to take them out, you know. Yeah. And like that, he before when he started where he was working, he had no tattoos as in years and years ago, and he was just kind of slowly getting them. And then even when he was there, they were like, "You have to wear a jumper all the time." And it could be like the middle of summer, and they're like, "You need to wear that because like you don't want to scare the customers." Yeah, and, like, I, I'm seeing more and more people with tattoos in the hospitality industry wherever you go in the yeah. world. It should be like completely acceptable, and yeah, like that's the thing. Like we've travelled, and it's so normal everywhere else. And as I said, people are complaining that there's no one out there, and I sound amazing on paper to people, and then it's just, uh, oh, you know, they don't want coloured hair, they don't want visible tattoos, they don't want piercings, and like the thing is, you'd have a mask on nowadays as well, you know, so. I don't know why people are still making judgments on that when there's so many people qualified and have a huge background and yeah. they're covered in tattoos and piercings and whatever. And, and in Canada, did you have endless amounts of, of work opportunities? Or is it just here oh, you're yeah. finding these problems? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, there was people offering me work when we went to eat out, like, went to a Mexican restaurant they saw that I was Irish and they were like, would you, you could get a job here. I was like, I'm working somewhere else. And then we used to go to this jazz bar. The guy in there asked me and my husband if we would manage a bar for him in New York. And we never, like, we never worked with him. And we were like, how do you know <laughs> for any good? Because like, you're Irish, you're definitely yeah. going to be brilliant. But he could see all our tattoos and piercings where we were going in there casually. And like, our manager where we were in the restaurant wanted us to stay, but we just couldn't afford to get, you know, you have to apply for the citizenship and all that kind of thing. And there was another Irish burner and I, he had only met me and he emailed me two years, like literally when we were leaving to go home and he was like, Heather, are you still around? Just wondering if you're still available for work. And he was actually on a Gordon Ramsay show then. I was like kicking myself. I was like, oh, I wish I worked there. <laughs> But, um, well, I guess yeah. your your appearance does send out messages. I mean, if 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 you're athletic and you're, you're fit looking, that gives someone the impression: yes, this guy or girl is disciplined. They they put time into being fit and and you know yeah, taking sure exercise. I'm fit looking as well. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, if if somebody is covered in body art and piercings, maybe it's giving out the impression that most employers don't want to get in this country anyway. I know. I just it like that is what the story is. Obviously, there's a few places that are cool and that's grand but like like that you don't really want to work somewhere that, that they're looking at you like you're different you know yeah and, and do some places do some places embrace the body art to, to project their cool image yeah I'd say these days anyway definitely like some of the more modern um, cafes and stuff that are independently owned a lot of people would like have tattoos and yeah, whatever okay. they want and they're cool and stuff but it's it tends to be a lot of the chains or more traditional places yeah and are, like, are you still available for work Heather I am. I'm doing my food science at the moment, and I have like a food blog, and I make vegan lip balms, and I sell them in my goodness in town and at a few markets and different things. So I'm like staying busy the whole way throughout lockdown. Vegan lip balm—that's a new one on me. It's just—it doesn't have you know beeswax or it's not tested on animals, all that kind of thing. And where can people support you there if they want to? 
In my goodness, in the English market or on neighbour food as well, it's yeah, vegan is the new black. So I've been doing that blog and I post every day since 2013, all my recipes. So yeah, I'm still... Yeah, I've only, recently, I've only recently come across the phenomenon that is neighbour food and, and only recently became even more surprised that it's... Uh, it's my old friend uh, Jack Crotty who's at uh, oh, at, at the yeah. head of that. Yeah, uh, he is, ex yeah. of the Rocket Man. And, I know uh, brilliant work, amazing. Yeah. Uh, brilliant altogether, and and I am uh, I, I know it's it's having a wonderful effect on healthy eating and on supporting local. So uh, it, it it essentially is your neighbourhood artisan foods or organic foods prepared market. Uh, that happens once a week in each locality. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I know there's one in uh, Passage. I know there's one in Carrigaline. There's one in Cross Seven, I think. And I know so that uh, Frank Hederman, I think, is the agent uh, for for Cove from Hederman Smoked Salmon. It's just the most wonderful idea. And uh, uh, young Jack, uh, still young to me anyway, uh, is mm. just the epitome of uh, entrepreneurial. Uh, enterprise. He's absolutely brilliant. All the ideas he's had, uh, and I know his dad very well. That's how old I am. Um, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I think it would be great to have something like that on the north side as well, because I'm from the north side, and I think there's nothing that's always forgotten about as well. And I've actually done a survey recently just with people from Cork to see if they think the north side is forgotten about, and I think it'll be amazing. Well, here, here's here's a question for you because this is something we tackled years ago on this program. Mm. Um, you know, whatever about body art and ears stretched and piercings, um, you know, going against you when it comes to employment possibilities, uh, would, for instance, having a north side address over a south side address go against you? Is that still oh, in play, yeah. I wonder? Definitely. When we were trying to find a house when we came back from Canada, everywhere asks you where you're from. And like that, me and my husband sat in a way. And then one time I was like, just don't say Mayfield anymore. I was like, just say, I don't know. <laughs> and then he said, oh, I'm from the North Street. And I'm saying Mayfield. And the woman just looked at her husband. And he was lovely, but the woman literally just looked at him. You know, like at a kind of side thing. And we were like, oh. There's another place we can't live in. Yeah, <laughs> so the, crazy, the, like. the line's line's gone very bad, Heather. I could continue to talk to you, but um, I find it very hard to hear you. Are you a chef by any chance as well? Um, not a chef, but I I did a bit in Galway. I did a bit of cooking course in Canada, and I did lots of prep chef. So okay. I like uh, the, chef, that kind of thing, but nothing like not a five star restaurant. But okay, we, we've had we've had a text yeah. from Eat Street in carrying a line from Kevin to say who says if the chef wants an interview, give her my number. I'm not sure if uh, okay. uh, if, if it's a good match now, but uh, get in touch with. Uh, we'll give you uh, Kevin's number uh, okay, just after the call thanks here. So okay, and okay, uh, we'll pass you. it on to you. Thanks a million, Heather. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. And I wonder if anyone has been discriminated against because of body art or piercings or indeed uh, the location of your address. Uh, Is that still prevalent uh, in Irish uh, hiring society today? So if anyone else has had problems getting work because of how they look or where they live, then please give us a call on 1850104106 or text us on 0868104106 or you can email neil at redfm.ie. Donica, thanks for holding. How are you? Hi, Mick. Hi, hi Donica. Yeah, hi, this is Donica. Hi. Listen, um, Mick, I suppose the reason I um, emailed into you was the AstraZeneca for those of us that got the AstraZeneca and we're in the cohort of people that uh-huh. were told, I suppose, to uh, you're taking AstraZeneca. But for those people that are getting it in now, and I know that Europe are working very strongly on, as we were speaking about earlier, the vaccine uh, passport, if you want to call it that. Um, 
12 weeks, right? So somebody who's got the Pfizer jab last April um, is ready. Now, if they decided to open a passport for vaccinated people to go to Europe, and they need to be fully vaccinated. Those people who are getting the AstraZeneca now, or, or you only got it about three or four weeks ago, we have to wait mid-August, September for some people, if you need to be fully vaccinated to travel into Europe. Now, don't get me wrong here, Mick, I'm absolutely delighted to get the vaccine. I would have taken it in both arms. But already there was a lobby to try and reduce it back to um, from six, uh, back to eight weeks. And, this, and, and it was refused because of lack of, um, you know, I suppose, lack of product. But if you think about it now, with the Indian, with the Indian variant that's in, we now have a situation where we're the AstraZeneca first-time jabbers, but only 33%. 33%, they reckon, is our efficacy for us now. And somebody much, much younger, not at all vulnerable, no, I wasn't, thanks for the God, but I'm not at all vulnerable, get a Pfizer jab now, four weeks' time, absolutely fine. I, I think it's uh, four weeks for the second jab, Donica, and then two weeks after that you're going to be safe to travel, but I don't think you can travel until the 19th anyway. Yeah, on the 19th of? July. July. Yeah. Yes, okay, so somebody gets the AstraZeneca now, today and they've got to wait their 12 weeks they're penalised it's not a dividend anymore they're uh-huh. penalised because they can't go into September uh-huh. that's true so it's not all about travel but it's about the the Indian variant as well so you much younger people with, with um, very little vulnerability or no vulnerability are getting to Pfizer now because of the product and the older people who are a little bit more you know your age group my age um, we got the AstraZeneca and now we've got to wait the, the, the entire three months before we get our second job plus two weeks yeah, I, I understand, but I, I, there there are other ways you can travel on on what's going to be called not the passport but the green certificate, and one is to have ha, have had COVID and recovered, and the other is and it's a, at your own cost, of course, to have a negative PCR test. Yeah, but are you sure? Isn't that dependent on the country that you're traveling into? Make I mean, that's, if, that's, example, that's the other that's the other relevant piece of information. You may have to, depending on where you're going, have to quarantine on the other side. Yeah, uh, just because we were told to take AstraZeneca. Now, again, it's sounding, maybe sounding like I'm, I'm, I'm mad because I got AstraZeneca. I'm delighted I got AstraZeneca. But it's not me. It's a huge cohort of people now that really would like to travel. We're entitled to travel, but we can't travel because of the jab we got. And the government won't reduce it to eight weeks. Okay. So you think that the fairest thing would be to reduce the AstraZeneca criteria to eight weeks instead of 12 so you can have some sort of a summer holiday before... Things get back to normal exactly, in September. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So that we can have some, and plus we 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 increase our efficacy. Our, the, the, we increase our, our, our you know by being vaccinated with a second jab. Now we're a li- we're a lot more. It's a lot more effective on us, you know. Or give us a. I don't know. They're talking about giving us the Pfizer jab now as a second jab around. Um, so, but very few people speak about that, do they? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where do you want to go to, Tonico? Well, I mean, I, I want to travel. I want to go to France and take a motor home to France and all that. But I'm, I'm totally predicated by to book ferries and to do anything by my 12-week cycle, if you understand. Yeah, that. I understand, yeah. It's putting it out of the I good weather. there's an awful lot of people in that boat, mate. Yeah. Uh, is, this, is this the Dunica Geary I know and love so well from the Roaring Donkey? Yeah, I was going to call the Neil when I came on first, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would be, yeah. I, yeah, saw, I saw a great outpouring of love uh, to your good wife, Mize, or Maraid, uh, on her recent retirement from teaching. Huge outpouring of uh, respect and love for her, Donica, on uh, social media over the weekend. So the very best yeah. of luck, and uh, of course you want to get on with it now and get travelling yourself. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, it's like everybody else. Retired people happen to be in that, that, that age group. I'm retired now, so it's my we would like to travel, but we want to do it legally, Mick. You know, we want to do it within the rules. We don't want to break the rules. Mm-hmm. So we're tied. 
buy a vaccine, we were voluntold towards, you know, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, you, you, really, I really, I suppose my point, Mick, is much, much younger people, they're opening up 40 to 45 now, aren't they? 45 age group, which are, yeah. never seems to be a problem. And younger, and, and most likely get to find us a job, and uh, four weeks later, plus two, they're away. And That's we're all sitting here, the older people going, well, we can't go anywhere. But there know? are serious and inequities, Donica, in everything that, that you see. As, as I mentioned at the start of the programme, two weeks ago, 4,000 people gathered for, you know, a not hugely important Brit Awards, music awards, with no social distancing and no masks. It was a kind of a social experiment. And yet in this country, expectant parents cannot attend a scan together, uh, even in full PPE. There's inequities in the system wherever you look. Huge, yeah. And, 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 I, and I do understand where, where it's decided by the country that we want to go into. Um, uh, but I just thought I'd put it out there for people. What do they think if they get the AstraZeneca one now? Their summer's gone, basically, if they follow the rules that are there. Yeah. All right, Donica, thanks for that. Listen, the very best of luck to yourself and Maraid in uh, your retirement. It's, it's going to suit you, you know. So you were used to doing feck all, all your life. Yeah, thank you, Mick. Enjoy your day now. <laughs> Take Good care. luck. Donica Geary there from Cove. It's Neil Prendival's show at uh, 17 minutes to 12. The Neil Prendival show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. 14 minutes to 12. Good morning to you. Rose Demol is uh, Chief Executive Officer at Recruit uh, Refugees Ireland. And uh, my uh, reading of that email from uh, Mary who says that mm-hmm. there is going to be a huge influx of uh, refugees into Ireland. She has some issue with uh, Good morning to you, Rose. Hi, good morning. Uh, so you're not sure where this lady is getting her information that the number of asylum seekers coming to Ireland will increase dramatically. We're not really a popular <laughs> destination, is it, uh, for refugees? No, not at all, no. Uh, the, the popular de- destinations are Germany, France and Spain, you know, and then comes Italy and, and Greece because that's often where they land. Uh, Ireland certainly is not a, a popular destination. Uh, at the moment we have, well, last year there were 7,000 people in direct provision of which uh, 6,000 were seeking pro- protection uh, and the other 1,000 were looking for a home because okay. they had uh, received their papers and couldn't find a house. So that's not a lot, you know, that's fairly little. And actually, if you if you would look at some uh, figures, you could see that Ireland is very, very low in the European uh, list of numbers on, on the number of um, asylum seekers they, they receive here. So, no, there's there no great influx. And I don't know where she gets the information from that there is going to be an amazing uh, increase in numbers. I, I haven't seen that anywhere. Um, and so I'm a little bit surprised about that. Is there almost an inference in the email? And I know you 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 heard me reading it out that uh, you know seeking asylum uh, is, is tantamount to a crime, which is not. It's a right. No, it's a right. Uh, people have the right to seek asylum, and it's only normal, you know, if we would, God forbid, uh, ever end up in a war or, or something in you know, terrorism in 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 the country or whatever, and we have to run, or even. Uh, an environmental event that happens, we have to run. I hope we uh, are received somewhere and get um, accommodation, you know. Also, um, what I think when I first heard the uh, the email was, well, if you are so against asylum seekers getting their own door accommodation, you're actually for uh, them being locked up into direct provision, which can be compared to an open prison. You know, yeah, I, 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 I think I, yeah. I think the comparison is being made against those who cannot get their own door, who are Irish citizens, who even who want to buy their own door can't get on that mm. property ladder. 
Yeah, well, those are two problems, aren't they? There, there are the, the people who uh, cannot get their own door and neither can the refugees or the asylum seekers. Mm. You know, uh, there are two separate problems. There are uh, housing uh, organizations that deal with, with those problems and then there are the organizations that deal with refugees and asylum seekers. And the government should take care of both of them. Okay. You cannot say because Irish people cannot buy a home, therefore we have to lock up the people who are, are very often have made extremely heroic tri- uh, trips to make themselves safe and their family give them safety. So, you know, you, it, it's um, an international obligation to do that and, uh-huh. and those are two separate issues. So, um, and certainly both of them need to be handled and, and what I would like to tell Mary is that I am very good friends with Katrina Toomey from uh, Penny Diners and we work together in, in many cases. She will support me and I will support her. So, you know, it's, it's just something, I hope Mary Mary um, is uh, capable of giving some time to uh, volunteer for the homeless okay. people. That would be great. There's an, there's an old adage, with the clothes on their backs, they come looking for a new life and they come looking for it here. What, what, what does exactly does Recruit Refugees Ireland do, Rose? Okay, so people who, who have come to Ireland, refugees and people, I, I, you know, the, the term asylum seekers sounds a bit bad these days, so we, we call it international protection applicants because that's what they do. Um, they, they, uh, the refugees have their refugee status when they arrive. So the Syrians have gotten their refugee status already, okay? So when they come here, they have the same rights as Irish people and they can work straight away. Uh, Asylum seekers have to be here for six months without the first decision in their case and then they can also start working. The problem is that very few of them uh, find meaningful work. You know, we have... You wouldn't believe the potential that lives in uh, direct provision centers among the refugees. We have engineers there. We have, you know, from from the, the cleaning ladies, let's say, to the surgeon, you know, we have them all in these places. So why would these people not be allowed to work? And why are they not finding proper work? So that's what we help them to do. So the ones who need to be upskilled or who need to get more English, we help them to get English lessons. And then we have a website where we have uh, a database of all our candidates where employers can have access to. And um, if they have a job that they uh, want to offer to us, we help them to fill that job. Okay, I'm sure a lot of employers would be unaware of this. Is, is there a website we can exactly. publicize for yeah, you? Th- yes, there's a recruitrefugees.ie very easy and uh, employers can contact us on there or they can also register on there and um, you know they they can do a search of the candidates we have but it's probably easier to just contact us yeah and there's no impediment to these refugees taking employment in ireland isn't there no, the uh, refugees, so as soon as they have the refugee status, they have the right to work like uh, anyone else. And asylum seekers okay. must wait six months. Uh, asylum seekers must wait six months uh, and they may, may not have a first decision in their case. So if during these six months they have a refusal or something and they go into appeal, they cannot work. Okay. And also the asylum seekers who are here under the Dublin Three, so they, they're not allowed to work either. Um who landed somewhere else first and okay. came here. Mm-hmm. Rose, it's been lovely yeah. and enlightening to talk to you. Keep up the good work. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much Thanks for letting me uh, take the word. Thank you. It's so our pleasure. Thanks a million. Thanks that me. is Rose Demol. Thanks, Rose, uh, Chief Executive Officer at Recruit uh, Refugees Ireland. Now, we have a fabulous competition this week with Musgrave Marketplace. By the way, we have some very good news coming up about the summer. So bear with us while I just do this competition and we'll get our callers lined up because there are some fabulous prizes. Um, Musgrave Marketplace has 680 Irish suppliers, and they're proud to support the reopening of the hospitality uh, industry. In fact, they're an integral part. It probably couldn't open without them. Uh, An Irish family business as well with 145 years of heritage, and Musgrave Marketplace believe in supporting other family businesses and jobs in the local economy. Carper Grove and Bandon is one such business that's going to be opening very soon, and a €150 voucher could be yours today. Uh, And we have a fabulous uh, prize for the week. One of our daily prize winners will win a €500 voucher for the lovely Brehan Hotel in uh, Killarney. So as Cork reopens, Irish hospitality needs us. It needs you and me and needs more than just luck. And that's where uh, Musgrave Marketplace comes in. So we're going to play you the uh, three theme tunes and uh, you can get calling. We're going to take caller number 10 on one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. Have a listen again. Okay, you want to hear it one more time? Uh, get dialing anyway. Here are the three SIG tunes. There you go. Get dialing. one 850 Now, a few weeks back, we were devastated to learn that the beloved 99 ice cream was under threat because of supply issues with the chocolate flake. But to bring us good news about the salvation of our summer, here's Angela on line six. Hi, Angela. Hi, how are you? No, I'm great. You're, you're calling from Cups and Cones in Kinsale. Yes. Now, you're selling Kinsale. ice cream and mini donuts, and uh, you opened... Uh, oh, that's the little, sort of a small place, uh, a couple of doors up from Dino's, is it? That's right. Okay. Just a few doors down from Dino's. Yeah, always a queue there. Always, always. What's the um, good news you have for us? The good news is that we have the Cadbury Flakes due back this week. Wow. Did you run out? We did. We ran out about, I'd say, six, seven weeks ago. Um, now, we did source a generic brand, but it definitely wasn't the same. And people, when they, when they heard about the shortage of uh, Cadbury Flakes, when they came to our window, they wouldn't even have the 99. Uh, they wouldn't have the ice cream without the, without the flake. They just go for a cup or something? They just go for a cup or it's just uh, one of our flavours. Okay. So four weeks ago you ran out, but the good news is the flakes are back next week. Any particular day? Uh, it's supposed to be this Wednesday, but not 100% certain. And is Brexit to blame? Um, I'd say so, yeah. I'd say so, definitely. <laughs> definitely. It's a global shortage. Yeah, okay. Well, the flakes are back next week. Summer is saved and uh, from cups and cones and cancels. Angela, thank you for uh, telling us that the summer is once again um, <laughs> coming our way. Uh, yes, and that the 99s will be, will be banging out the window again. Yeah, 100%. What's, what do you call a 99 uh, without, the, without the flake? Just a cone, is it? Just uh, pl- plain vanilla. Plain cone. Just okay. plain cone, yeah. Plain Not very exciting. 99s will be back very next exciting. week in Kinsale. Thanks, Angela. 99s. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now, I had a text. Bye-bye. Thanks. Uh, uh, two texts from uh, people uh, around uh, about Pat Murphy. There are a couple of Pat Murphys in play here. Hi Mick, would you please say happy birthday to a friend and old colleague of yours, Pat Murphy, a.k.a. Pockets, who had a roundy birthday this uh, weekend. That's from Mary, Martin, Charlotte and Michelle Pockets. I remember him well in my time in uh, Aircom. Uh, still playing the old snooker, Pat. 
Uh, well, anyway, happy birthday to you. And another Pat Murphy is listening in Fethard on Sea. And that's my old buddy Pat Murphy, or Spud Murphy, uh, from Glenmire. So uh, thanks to you guys. Uh, now then, let's go to our phone lines for our competition with Musgrave Marketplace. And Cathy Roach is on line one. Hi, Cathy. Hello. You're from calling number 10? Uh, you are. Now you've st- uh, only got to do uh, one thing, and that's identify all three of these. So have uh, play it one more uh, time so that people can hear it again. Okay, uh, the three... So number one is The Simpsons. Number it is. two is Cheers. And I think number three is Friends. Number three is the most difficult one. And I'm sorry to tell you, no, I'm not. It is Friends. Well done. All, all U.S. sitcoms. Um, it's all U.S. sitcoms. Uh, the Simpsons, Cheers, and Friends. And you are the winner. Uh, and you're also in, of course, at the draw for Friday for the 500 euro Brehan voucher, a Brehan Hotel in Killarney. But you've won 150 euro voucher for Copper Grove in Bandon. Is that too far for me in Mitchellstown? Probably not. You'll have a good old day out. Probably well done. Not, no. No problem. Thanks a lot. Thanks Thank a million. You. Thanks, Cathy. Cheers. Bye-bye. And that uh, we'll return to that competition tomorrow with Musgrave Marketplace. The Neil Prendival Show production team is led by Emer O'Hay-Martin, ably assisted by uh, Seamus Wheelahan and Mark Willington. And we're back to business after 9 o'clock news tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.